On October 17th, 1990, a Usenet group established an elite school for ranking the best movies of all time. Its purpose was to teach the lost art of blockbuster filmmaking, and to ensure that the handful of films that made the list were among the best movies in the world. They succeeded. Today, the internet calls it the Internet Movie Database. The podcast that we're on calls it the Top 250. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Outstanding, Darren. How are you? I'm, I'm good, I'm good. We are talking about one of the 50 best movies ever made of all time, Top Gun Maverick. How could I be anything less than perfect? And joining us for this discussion, we have two fantastic guests. First of all, the wonderful Mr. Joe Griffin. How are you, Joe? Uh, I'm really well, thanks. I'm happy to be back. I haven't been here for a while. Ah, yeah. Well, we we kind of we just we thought it'd be cool to have you on because you've you've kind of become our expert in '80s movie stars who have careers that extend past the '80s. So we had you on talking about Bruce Willis's late career. We had you on talking about like '90s Arnie and stuff like that, or '80s Arnie and stuff like that. So we kind of figured that maybe this, as a like a a sequel to a classic '80s Tom Cruise movie, would be kind of right up that street. Uh, and also joining us for this discussion, we have a man who is the self-described '250s resident cruiseologist, the fantastic Mr. Luke Dunn. How are you, Luke? I'm good. We should all have call signs for this episode. I feel like you know. I think that would be appropriate. You you, you can't adopt one. You isn't it like a kind of a nickname no. thing that you have to be given it? No, that the actors all chose their call sign nicknames. Oh, um, in in the we, in this movie, we want to be authentic. <laughs> oh, oh we're, we're, we want that proper Pentagon funding. We want to give them kind of script approval and authenticity and veracity. That's what we're going for here, right? right. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I guess we can just choose um, our own and it would li- at least be authentic to the movie. All right. So, Joe, what's your call sign? Okay. All right. Scrabble. Scrabble. I like that. Uh, Luke, what is your call sign? I should have. I should have prepared with one since I brought it <laughs> this was your idea but my 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 call sign is naysayer I think the last time I was on the 250 I was accused by a listener base of just being a curmudgeon that just comes on ready to give out about the movies right away have you tried not watching a movie cynically Luke I believe was the exact <laughs> challenge posed uh no <laughs> I don't believe in such things what was the last film to which you said nay Doctor Strange too, I think it was. Yeah. Um and, and Andrew, what is what is your call sign? Call sign. Um this is This is the, great podcasting right is, here. Yeah, yeah, this is difficult. Like I, I, I wanted to say um oh. What about newlywed? I like I like newlywed. I like newlywed. Okay, he's that, newlywed. Like, I'm definitely going to get shot down and killed. Though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. Thomas Adam- You're your, your darling uh, at home. <laughs> yeah, Andrew is reaching into his pocket, taking out a wallet. It appears to be filled with pictures of his, his sweetheart back home. He's talking about like when, what he's going to do when he finishes his service. He's going to possibly farm the land. Um, he's going to teach underprivileged kids. I mean, everybody's really happy, and it's really great because his service ends like next week. I can't Tell see me, anything. Uh, Fennec. It's like a little small fox. <laughs> so Fennec. Okay, you're 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 Fennec. All right. Yeah, not newlywed yeah. Fennec. It, right, and like, I guess the, the, you you want an animal that's cool, but like not too cool, I guess. 
like like panther would be would would be kind of would be too much would it yeah panther yeah okay your panther (laughs) i like that we've gone through three call signs this is great podcasting Uh, and i'll go with cue ball i guess by default Uh, can i sorry uh, did you guys know the dorothy parker poem about panthers it's only two lines long oh wow okay hit us with it it goes if you hear a panther be careful not to answer Nice. <laughs> um, All right. Yeah, the the, so, the call sign thing. It's really the like thirty plus white male equivalent of coming up with a drag name, where you like you think yeah. you've got a really good one in you, and then when you have to think of it, you're like, I'm really no, not happy with out. my with my chosen call signs. I'm just going to be thinking of that from now on. Darren, you should be podcast. You know, in in recognition. Q ball is good. Q ball's pretty good. I'm still um, pulling for podcasts in recognition of this show's medium and Ghostbusters fandom. Okay, yeah, the, the character whose sole defining attribute is that his name and his character are the same word. Um, all right, so let's let's talk a little bit about Top Gun Maverick, and actually, let's because because. Luke was on, he talked to us about Mission Impossible Fallout. We got a bit of a sense of Luke's kind of overarching grand theory of Tom Cruise, the LDE that is the essence to Tom Cruise as a movie star, according to Luke. But let's go to our 80s movie star expert, Joe. Just before we jump into talking about Top Gun, before we talk about Top Gun Maverick, off the top of your head, do you have any takes on Tom Cruise himself as a movie star? What do you think of him? What his, what his career directory is? Where we're joining him right now when we talk about one of the 50 best movies of all time? First of all, when you earlier said it was one of the 50 best movies of all time, I did an impression of that uh, Chris Hemsworth meme where he looks like he's saying, is it though? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise, yeah, I, I've been a fan of his for as an actor and a movie star, if not always as a person, like for as long as I can remember. Um, a thing about him is that when I was younger, Tom Cruise movie was usually a guarantee of a good time. And not only that, but you didn't quite know what you were going to get. So like you went from top gun to rain man to a few good men and interview with the vampire and the color of money and uh, born on the fourth of july and they're all good and they're all it was it seemed like for a while he was trying to like a deliver the best like quality product um as a brand that he could um and i think he did that using um the method that um johnny depp did for a few years before he just became a hack um which was to just find good directors and work with them and let those good directors like do whatever they Use wanted you. with this persona yeah like for a long time it felt like he was gunning <laughs> top gunning for an oscar it was like this will be my oscar role and then um, he uh yeah, then somewhere along the way, um, around the time of War of the Worlds, there was the, the Oprah thing and the, the couch jumping thing, and his choices became much more conservative. So in the past 10 or 15 years, there's been like a disproportionate number of action movies, which is kind of funny because it's kind of the thing that you would expect an actor in their, who's been famous since their 20s to be moving away from in their 50s. And uh, then there was a there was a really good podcast I heard a while ago. Um, I think it was you were wrong about, it, and they said when Tom Cruise 
was made fun of and his career nearly derailed with that Oprah incident. Couch Jummy, Katie, Katie Holmes, I love her, I love her, I love her. Yeah, and jumping on the couch. And there was, and it was, what was really interesting was that that was analysed and discussed before YouTube and before Twitter. So a lot of people discussed the video and the image and they have like a moving image in their heads, um, having not seen the actual footage. And um, so, but what happened, I think, felt like turning point, the the demise of like the star system, yeah. i.e. films getting greenlit just because movie stars in it and doing well just because movie stars in it. And then that couch thing, uh, made him more conservative. And as that, as somebody smarter than me once said, we, we gained a meme and we lost a movie star. And he went from trying to be like the Paul Newman or Robert Redford of his generation to just becoming the Jackie Chan of the West and just being like, I'm going to pull out all the stops and this might be the movie in which you watch me sprain my ankle or do some stunt that you've never seen a movie star do before. And um, so while I say I love the Mission Impossible movies, uh, Rogue Nation's my favorite. And I love the, for a while it had similar formula as Alien, which is the, the auteur um, approach. So it's like we find an auteur and we say, do with this franchise what you will. And Brian De Palma, John Woo, J.J. Abrams, Brad yeah. Bird, that sort of cycle of four very different directors with four yeah, different, different you, styles. They all felt like movies that those, with those directors' style and recognisable um, flourishes, especially um, the first two, the De Palma and the John Woo one. Um, so that was a really great idea for a franchise. It meant that it was still a Mission Impossible movie. You still got to see people taken off masks and Tom Cruise dangling off wires and stuff like that. But then you got the stylistic flourishes that like great stylist directors like Brad Bird and De Palma and John Woo um, added. So while I love that franchise and while I frequently enjoy them, I miss the Tom Cruise who would make Magnolia or Jerry Maguire and so on. Like his, and his hit rate as a movie star, like the quality rate is way higher than most than of average. his peers. Yeah, than most of his peers and like the generation following him as well. Like compare the amount of dud movies made by like his competitors. Uh, Cruz's batting average is way higher in my opinion. I mean, there was the famous viral tweet that went round about like name one bad Tom Cruise movie and you could very easily do that. It's The Mummy is the very obvious one. But the fact that even people are even suggesting that illustrates that Cruise has a remarkable level of consistency and quality control to his output. Sorry, Andrew, I cut you off there. No, I was going to say, like, I, I think part of the reason why that's the case is that um, Johnny Depp, so, sorry, some, somebody like Johnny Depp say, I think they, they care about things other than movies. Um, I feel I feel like with 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 with, uh, with like alcohol, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like one hundred thousand dollars worth of wine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that 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 a lot of actors um, are like quite easily distracted. Whereas uh, I I think Tom Cruise, to his credit as an actor, has always been obsessed with making movies. <laughs> he can't name his favorite. He just loves them all. Um, and and I, I think maybe that uh, prevents him from um, making bad choices. And I feel like he gets very involved 
and wanting to kind of know that the movie is going to be as, as good as it can possibly be before kind of he's agreeing to things. Well, I mean, yeah, well, well, maybe again, this is probably a nice segue to talk about like Top Gun Maverick because Top Gun Maverick is obviously tied up in all of that, whether in subtext or in literal text or in terms of production history. Like Joe's potted history of Tom Cruise there is hugely important in terms of understanding him as an actor and what he wants and what he needs. And that you could chart the history of the inevitable sequel to Top Gun across that history of his career, where the first Top Gun is a movie. It's made by Tony Scott. It is Tony Scott's second feature film which is incredible. He gets it off the back of having a Saab commercial, of making a Saab commercial that Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer really liked and thought this guy should make our movie, which is based, by the way, on an article about uh, about cool fighter pilots. That's the basis of it. They read an article, they bought the rights to the article, and they're like, this should be a Tom Cruise movie directed by Tony Scott. And obviously- In the director of this movie, he's, um, he, he, he's done a... Um... Taco Bell, um, Nacho Fries commercial. <laughs> That's one of like his his I, his I know, IMDb credits. Yeah, I know. I know he has done like I think like Oblivion and a, yes. a remake of Tron and a few things like Tron. that. But one of the the and and I watched it. It's pretty good. <laughs> to be clear, he did. This is he, Joseph Kaczynski, by the way. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He did an advertisement for uh, Taco Bell, so he he he. he followed in i guess the the tony tony scott footsteps but um instead of doing it about a car in that one uh, sense only in that that one one and only sense yeah which we'll get yeah we'll we'll maybe come back to the odd relationship between maverick and the original top gun kind of in a moment but just in terms of cruz's career obviously that as as kind of joe mentions he starts working with auteurs he's primarily interested in auteur driven movies he works again with tony scott in days of thunder but we obviously we mentioned he works with directors you know obviously like paul thomas anderson michael mann steven spielberg has like a bludgeoning partnership with him at the turn of the millennium uh obviously stanley kubrick last film as well where he's just willing to kind of be used by those directors as an instrument and, and, and a way of like getting them to make movies in many cases using his star credibility to allow them to have budgets brian de palma would never have made mission impossible if tom cruise wasn't starring in mission impossible for example which is kind of a great use of star power we'll come back to some of the iffy parts of tom cruise later on i suspect but the idea was like as joe mentioned towards the end of the 80s he began pivoting towards i want to be taken seriously as an actor and that span of his career runs up until as Joe mentioned, about 2005-2006 when the couch jumping happens. So he gets his first Oscar nomination in 1990 for starring in Born on the Fourth of July with Oliver Stone. And he is very clear in interviews promoting um, Born on the Fourth of July that he does not want to make Top Gun 2. He has no interest in making Top Gun 2. Top Gun was a movie that was seen as being overly jingoistic and patriotic. It did not show what the reality of war was. And what he wanted to do with doing Born on the Fourth of July was to work with the director of Platoon, another 1986 movie, as we mentioned on the podcast we discussed with Joe, and tackled the reality, the hard-hitting reality of war, and so didn't want to turn it into a theme park. He couldn't see himself making Top Gun 2, Top Gun 3, Top Gun 4. However, things begin to shift dramatically, as Joe pointed out, with the famous couch jumping incident. And obviously, like just to give a sense of how dramatically um, things changed uh, in wake of the couch jumping, you had like headlines appearing in the Daily Mail saying, Cruz, I will eat the placenta. You had 
California banning the sale of ultrasound machines for personal use, known as the Tom Cruise Law, because Cruise had publicly purchased an ultrasound machine to view his daughter in the womb. Noah Baumbach took pot shots at him in New Yorker articles. Lauren Bacall dismissed him in interviews. Uh, apparently, Paramount famously cut their contract with him in 2006 following the underperformance of Mission Impossible 3. They said, we are out of the Tom Cruise business. We do not want to be part of this anymore. Apparently, his Q rating fell 40%, which is pretty much uh, unheard of. So you have this idea of like Cruise was seen as being washed up. And so he becomes a bit more, as Joe said, he becomes more conservative. He starts building ranks around himself. He starts working only with people that he trusts on a profound and personal level. And Christopher McQuarrie is one of those people. He worked with McQuarrie in 2008 on Valkyrie, the Brian Singer movie. McQuarrie becomes his go-to guy. He directs the first Jack Reacher movie, for example. He goes on and then obviously he does uh, directs the two Mission Impossible movies, the two most recent Mission Impossible movies, and the next two Mission Impossible movies as well. And he's brought in as a script doctor on this movie because he's a care of He's a pair of hands that Cruz trusts deeply. And obviously, as Andrew pointed out, Kaczynski, who is brought in as director on this movie, is a guy Cruz trusts. He's one of Cruz's guys. He directs Oblivion with Tom Cruise back in 2013. Cruz becomes this guy who is incredibly careful about what he does and about his public image. And what's interesting is that around this time, you start seeing, as Joe said, the emergence of the MCU. The emergence of like incredibly and increasingly nostalgic popular culture that's built around the idea of franchising and building out. So Paramount come back and they say, we want to do Top Gun. And they say, we want to do Top Gun. Cruise, who we've just dropped as a movie star, is at the most vulnerable point in his career at this moment in time. So we have decided what we're going to do is we're going to make a Passing of the Torch sequel. It is leaked to the press, it is leaked to Vulture, I believe, in October 2010, that Cruz will be getting an and credit in Top Gun 2, and that they're working on a cameo-sized role that will involve him passing the torch to a new generation of movie stars. Now, Cruz has, apparently through Macquarie, leaked information after that, saying that's, that's not what's happening at all. But according to rumors that were circulating, including Tony Scott saying, I don't want to go back to Top Gun. I don't want to remake the old movie. I don't want to do a nostalgic play. The indication is that like the version of Top Gun that would exist in 2010 would be radically different from the one that exists today. Maverick would be a supporting character in it. Uh, and again, just to give an illustration of how this is, and Luke will probably be interested to hear about this, information came out recently about um, the Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which is the... 2011 uh, Mission Impossible movie, the one directly following the financial disappointment of Mission Impossible 3. If anybody has seen that movie, you'll remember that's the one that introduces Jeremy Renner. Um, And Renner's given this backstory and Renner's positioned as, like in the Bourne legacy, Renner's going to take over this franchise from your beloved movie star because he's more cost effective at this point in time. And apparently, according to stunt people who worked on Ghost Protocol, the final sequence of Ghost Protocol, the fight in the car park with Michael Nyquist, which is a sentence that actually exists and describes the climax of Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, was supposed to involve a sequence where Tom Cruise shatters his kneecap. Uh, It's horrifically mangled. And so the movie ends with him going to be back with his wife and kind of resigning from being the Mission Impossible kind of star. Apparently on the day that they decided they were going to film that in 2010, Cruise waited for everybody to get set up He waited for everybody to position themselves on set. He waited for the special effects crew to line everything up and the stunt people to get ready and then announced publicly to the entire room he was not doing it and he would be in his trailer. That was the power play. And apparently that 
happened to force the issue through Paramount. The movie made a phenomenal amount of money and then kind of set the path for Tom Cruise's career redemption. Then in 2012, uh, Tony Scott tragically takes his own life. Um, He apparently took his own life a day before he was due to go to meetings with Cruise on the subject of Top Gun 2. Um, And the, the project was basically suspended. No plans to consider it or develop it. Jump forward five years in time. Bruckheimer and Simpson decide they're doing Top Gun 2. They go to Kaczynski first because they figure he's one of Cruz's guys. And they say, you need to convince Cruz to be in this movie. Cruz visits, or yeah, Kaczynski visits Cruz on the set of Mission Impossible Fallout in Paris while they're filming that chase sequence that goes around the Champs-Élysées, the Arc de Triomphe and stuff like that. And he has literally half an hour to convince Cruz to make this movie. And apparently Cruz is not at all interested until in the moment Kaczynski lands on what he discovers is the key to the movie and that is, it's not going to be Top Gun 2. It's going to be Top Gun Maverick. And Cruz is like, I'm in. Deal. Let's make this. He apparently called Paramount in that moment and said, we're making Top Gun Maverick. Uh, but Luke, as our Tom Cruise expert, taking us in the gap from Mission Impossible Fallout to where we are now, how would you position Top Gun Maverick in terms of, like, cruisiness? Can I, can I ask oh, sorry. first, uh, did, did Kaczynski bring any kind of masks or anything? To, <laughs> to sneak into the trailer. With him? Yeah, yeah. Like, like Katie Holmes is here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, that, he got the meeting as Christopher McQuarrie. That was yeah. the thing. Christopher McQuarrie was lying in, yeah, yeah. in the backseat of the Ferrari or the boot of the Ferrari. And Kaczynski pulls off the mask. It's like, it's me. I directed you in oblivion. Um... But sorry, 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 Luke. Yeah, what I what I what I find so interesting about that post Mission Impossible three period of Cruise's career up until the point where like major studios are hugely dependent on him for their survival, like the position that yeah. Paramount are in now, where they're doing they're doing really well and they're able to put out interesting stuff, is in large part thanks to Cruise being this money making machine. And he's a money-making machine and a movie-making machine, and yet there, there's, there was never any redemption arc kind of narrative to his career. There was never any he was washed up and now he's, he, he's uh, successful and we like him again. And there was no kind of period out of the limelight. There was really none of the stuff that movie stars of his age usually do when they go through a slump and recover from it. And Cruz is so tightly in control of his image and, and his career and so conservatively in control of it at this stage that it's just it just didn't it just didn't happen. <laughs> the period like it, commercially, the period in his career where people realize he's a weirdo and a creep <laughs> uh, and might not want to see and might be exhausted with seeing the kind of movies that he makes just never happened. And and the way that a movie like this, which nominally is following the kind of legacy sequel and kind of brand extension exercises that so many movies do now, has that cake and eats it too by just just, just making it so that Maverick is the same as he was and will be the same into the Forever. future. And yet does that in a way that works. Uh, it, it, it comes from the fact that Cruz is so good at this. You know, he's so good at... Because, uh, like, some of the stuff that happens with his character in this movie should be a barking point for audiences. And yet it is, it is so demonstrably 
the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> People are so here for what this movie does with Maverick and with Cruz. And yeah, it's just it's just very interesting. And I think that with Cruz, like the the huge contrast between the kind of movie star that he was in the nineteen eighties and the kind of movie star that he is now is what makes this so interesting to me. Uh, but again, as far as Cruz is concerned, there there is no difference. <laughs> they, they <are laughs> he has always and he is and always will be uh, Tom Cruise. I I wonder and uh, I'd be curious to hear what you guys think of this. And I I sent this in notes to you, Darren. Do you guys think that the film is kind of meta in that the the actors? Well, first of all, it's really funny how Tom Cruise keeps casting actors his age or younger as his crusty old boss. Like they're like, <laughs> oh, you, you maverick, you who is 10 years older than me. But another thing about it is they keep giving speeches about like, you should be retired or you should be in politics by now or you shouldn't be like flying planes at dangerously low altitudes and all this kind of stuff. And I couldn't help but feel that um, it sounded to me like they were saying, you should be making like Wes Anderson films about cafe owners in Paris or Noah Baumbach films about divorce or prestige HBO miniseries with David Simon. You should not be like trying to compete with shirtless 25 year olds and touch football on the beach. And it felt like that. It felt like kind of Cruz saying like, well, like Maverick says, well, you know, I, I like flying planes really fast. And this is while it's anachronistic for a 60 year old to be flying these missions in anonymous ania uh, with all these young people um this is what i like and this is what i'm good at and this is what i'm suited to i'm not going to peter principle my way into an artsy fartsy film uh, do you know I, what i mean do, I, do you see I definitely, parallel? i definitely think so yeah sorry go ahead andrew no i I'd, 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 I'd agree with that and i I'd, i think there is a lot of at least it felt that way that there was a lot of kind of meta Kind of points that the movie was trying to make and that it's true tom cruise's kind of point of view and that this yeah because from his point of view there, were, there, were, there was there was one point at the beginning in the kind of the right stuff sort of um um intro um and it's in the first 15 minutes so i don't think it's so it's not a spoiler much. yeah they um and and i won't give too much away anyway but He's saying kind of like, um, oh, this this will this will this will ruin your career. And it's like, oh, but it's it's about everybody else, you know. It's about yeah. The, the moment where like yeah, he like, goes. The, like, the line is, you know, what will happen to you if you do this, and he's like, I know what will happen to everybody else if I don't. Yeah, and it's a kind of like a suggestion that like um, he's he's doing this um, Top Gun Maverick, you know, to to you know for Paramount. Well, yeah, I, I, I think yeah. Cruz is so attached to the idea that he is or can save movie making as an art form that he'll even right. extend that meta narrative into movies he's not in. Like we remember the infamous Tenet <laughs> video where he's he's going to watch Tenet at the height of, of the weirdness of the pandemic, um, 
and it's like this movie has nothing to do with you really but you're still going to center yourself as essential like, to 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 the safety that, of the movie going experience that, that, yeah. that, i wish you'd driven it. to the cinema backwards <laughs> but 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 you know he all the all all the latter Mission Impossible movies have that as well, where where Ethan Hunt is told over and over again that you know his that that the IMF's business model makes no sense <laughs> and shouldn't exist anymore, and and you should just hand it over to Henry Cavill's Superman and let him make blockbusters. Yeah, and 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 like he was going to be, I know, in Ford versus Ferrari back when it was called whatever it was called before, and that's a very similar kind of narrative as well. And you get this in. Some certain active movies now that have these kind of frequent identity crises, like the James Bond movies, are all over this all the time. Where again, yeah. a man Bond comes is into an the outdated office. relic of a broken system. Yeah, something, yeah. something drones, something, and something algorithm. Th- that meta narrative is is funny to me because there's this there's this concept in writing that that Dan Harmon has talked about before that he calls the monopoly guy, which is do you know in Ace Ventura. There's a, there's a bit where there's a man, he's at like a dinner party, a fancy dinner party, and there's a well-to-do man yes. dressed up as the Monopoly guy. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Ace Ventura goes, what are you, the Monopoly guy? And the thing you're supposed to think as an audience member is, wow, he nailed it, but like, they they dressed him up as the Monopoly guy. Like, it's not a, it's not a zinger. It's not... It's not. It's not. It's not clever. It's not insightful because they made it happen, which is like speaking of people that are way too focused on meta narrative, but um, like when these movies set up their narrative as as you know you are out of date and you are you should be retired and you should be gone away and we're moving away from what you do, even if you are the best at what you do, the meta narrative's response is always, I have a like I'll just keep doing it. Like it doesn't really provide a yeah. justification for the idea that a fifty-five-year-old man should be, you know, doing what he does in this movie. It kind of yeah, just uh, lets him away with it. <laughs> I I would kind of maybe, and again, this is this is very odd because, like, when you came out of this movie, Luke, you text me and you said, "Darren, you didn't like this movie." And I was like, how did you know that? That's <laughs> uncomfortable and uncanny. So you're putting me in an awkward position where I'm going that to defend this movie. But the, yeah. we, 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 we uncovered the meta-narrative, Darren, which is always going to pull you in. <laughs> All right, but, but to get back to the point that you were making there, and, like, I, I get that that's an old cliche, and it's kind of hoary, and I'm really kind of just generally tired of it, particularly in movie franchises where they keep going back, where, like, Skyfall is about how Bond is a relic who's out of date until he proves he isn't, and then Spectre is about how Bond is a relic who's out of date until he proves that he isn't, and No Time to Die is about how Bond is a relic who's, like, out of date until he proves that he isn't. But I do think that these, when the movies work well, and I think that they work very well in, say, Skyfall, and when they work, obviously, here, they serve as kind of proof of their own thesis, where, like, you watch this and it's very clear that nobody can do what Tom Cruise does. Like, the reason why Tom Cruise is a 55-year-old man or a 59-year-old man who's flying around in airplanes like this is because he's just very good at it and nobody is better, so why not just let him continue to do that? Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say that there's... There's some films that, and this is one of them, where it doesn't even try. And I'm kind of, I appreciate it when it doesn't work too hard to justify itself. So, like, from one point of view, yeah, what the what the Top Gun guys do and everything is totally dated. And they would probably just send drones as the pencil pushers 
wanted. Admiral Kane. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Ed Harris is the only actor they could find older than Cruz who still would work <laughs> in the military. Um, but yeah, like in reality, they would be like, yeah, let's not spend like God knows how much money on fighter jets and like fly these super young best pilots in the world into this danger zone. And instead we'll... Like Yale and Harvard graduates. Yeah, yeah. By the way, worth noting, by the way, that the two Asian fighter pilots are called Yale and Harvard. That's not something we have time to unpack, but I found that a little odd. Product placement for... uh, Ivy League. But anyway, sorry, sorry. Um, Cornell didn't quite make it into Top Gun. Um, Stanton, unfortunately, crashed and burned. Um, UCD. Um, (laughs) But they... But no, but anyway, so my point is... Yeah, like the this kind of mission wouldn't happen. And like, I'm a little uncomfortable in real life with how much America spends on military versus how much spends on like healthcare and education. But I have learned to compartmentalize it to watch films like this. And I prefer when films like Top Gun Maverick, they might do like, a line or two of lip service of like, oh, some people like drones. As I like, yeah, whatever, Poindexter. And I'm kind of okay with that. I don't, for a certain kind of film, I don't like when they spend the entire running time apologizing for themselves. I prefer if they're just like, yeah, look, it's unrealistic and it's jingoistic. That's not your kind of thing. You know, um, maybe like Coda's playing next door. Like just what? shut up. So what, and what? I kind of I kind of respect that. I respect that kind of um that they don't they're not trying to pander to people who who will never like it. So there will be people who are like who will never like a Top Gun movie. Um even if you put in all the realistic stuff and apologize for war and all that. And then and then you get back to the Truffaut quote, you know, that one about the paradox yeah. of war movies. Yeah, um, you can't truly. Or you you make a Top Gun sequel that is like Born on the Fourth of July, and all the Top Gun fans are really upset that Tom Cruise spends all of it in a what, wheelchair what, after a terrible crash. What uh, what Maverick has really done, and then and then all the Born on the Fourth of July fans are just like, this is the ripoff of Born on the Fourth of July, and then yeah, nobody likes yeah. it. But yeah. but what it's really done, and and we can talk about this after the spoiler zone, and we've talked about this before with Mission Impossible, but it's really boiled itself down to the jus of its most yeah. essential components, and any yeah. kind of. Uh, questions that may emerge about jingoism or militarism are artfully uh, and consciously sidestepped. Uh, and this again, this is like this is when because Cruz is such a machine when it comes to these things, and be, because he's so he's so in control of what he wants to do with these movies, he knows where not to go with these things which is yeah. most and i think cruz and again it's it's it, it i think it loops back into his control of his own stark persona because cruz has a vested interest in the real world not being part of his movie going experience and the, yeah. the experience of you watching him on screen and it that's what i find so interesting about this part of his career is that essentially what Hollywood has done, because there are a lot of actors with a lot of problematic stuff attached to them, and sometimes, though not often enough, it ends up tanking their box office. But what Hollywood has successfully done with Cruz, who is a weird guy that they probably don't like being around, is that they have given him this whole bit of Hollywood 
to just run free and do whatever he wants. And it works for everyone involved. <laughs> Cruz is happy. The studios are happy. The audiences are happy. Everybody wins because he just he just runs and runs and he gets to do stupid stunts and he gets to work with the people that he trusts, which is essentially for Cruz, who, again, like th- that's essentially what he's always wanted and needed. I don't know if you guys read the story about him like hanging around with Martin Scorsese's parents. <laughs> yeah, which is fascinating. He he stole Martin Scorsese's parents. It's remarkable. It's a like, remarkable story. Part of the reason that a, that a cult or a group, Darren, delete as appropriate, <laughs> like Scientology, would get their hook so easily into a person like Cruz is because he's a lost soul and so hyper-focused on certain things that he is lost in other aspects of his life. And, and, and so to just say to him, yes, make big budget movies and make us $800 million and we'll essentially let you do whatever you want work with who you want do what you and want yeah and we, and we will avoid any awkward questions and we will uh, avoid any awkward press tours and and uh you you want the movie to be all about you you don't want it to be a legacy movie yeah sure baby go for it <laughs> you know he has circumvented a lot of the problems that other actors his age have which is what allows him to be on screen with them and say oh you got old did you <laughs> Too bad. I, I just chose not to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, can, to bring it back to Joe's original question, like the meta narrative of the cruiseness of it all, right? Which is, and I find this is okay. This is to, to play, put my cards maybe a little bit on the deck to tilt, like to show my hand a little bit. I think what makes me very uncomfortable about this movie in particular is that, like, Cruz launders his personality through his movies and particularly his recent movies and particularly the Mission Impossible movies. We talked about it when we talked about Mission Impossible Fallout. I think. Time. What? As, as, as in, like. Did, did, um, you know, did, how, um, how much do we kind of get into this space of um, thinking about the. Um, the cruisiness of it? Yeah, yeah and. and and also, kind of, what has, I mean, I, I, I don't approve of so uh, of Scientology, but I don't have any problem with Cruz being a Scientologist. Um, and and the stuff about like Casey Holmes, um, well, and that, that I, I, I suppose there are details of that obviously that I have a problem with, but ultimately, like, like, he, he's not Brian Singer. He's not. Kevin Spacey. He's not. He's not Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein, or like any of those. Not even Mark Wahlberg. That, like, yeah, yeah. Okay, but he. That, like and but yet every time we talk about him, we have to kind of go through the this kind of thing about um, saying that he's laundering his um, his personality or his reputation as if he needs to. He just needs to continue making movies. Like the, 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 and 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 hopefully they're good. Like, okay, well, right? we talked about Cruz twice. To be fair, this is the second time, so apologies about that. But and, and the point that I was going to make is, and I say this as somebody who loved like Fallout. I'm on record as loving Fallout. I think Fallout is fantastic, and I think a large part of that is the weird meta narrative of it that we talked about there. And I think I think it's interesting to talk about how that meta narrative is different here than it was back in 2018 when he made Fallout. I think that's a valid point of comparison or a valid point of discussion. Like, I think that, like, when we were talking about that, Luke made the very valid point that there's this, like, push and pull 
with Cruz when it comes to Fallout, where there's that sense of, look at me hurt myself. Like, look at me include footage of me snapping my ankle. Like, that footage is in the movie, and I'm going to go on tour, and I'm going to show you that footage of me breaking my ankle on, like, Graham Norton, on every show that's out there, every show that's going. And you fold in things into Fallout about how, like, you know, obviously, like, Joe mentioned the whole, like, idea of, well, you're an old movie star, uh, we don't really have old movie stars anymore, we should just, you should do it all via CGI, why would you want to fly an actual plane? Which is, you know, all part and pack and part and parcel of, like, Crew's stuff. But in Fallout, you even have, you have Crew's drawing in this kind of, like, gossipy stuff around, like, well, maybe I was a bad husband. Like, maybe I am owning the fact that I was not a good husband, and I'm saying that I wasn't a good husband, and I'm acknowledging that my marriage was maybe not a healthy one, and I'm doing it through this medium as a way of engaging with the audience, and as Luke said, the kind of baggage that I sort of have as a result of being a celebrity and as being a movie star, and understanding that my public persona is, like, part of what I am. And I found that very interesting, and I found that, like, quite compelling, and I found when I watched Fallout that it was really interesting to unpack and explore that. And I think what I find more challenging about Maverick is that there's no push and pull there. There's no concession to that thing that Cruz has where it's like, how does the audience feel about me? What is my relationship to them? It's just straight up fist pump in the air. Tom Cruise is awesome and always has been and always will be yeah, to the point I, where like, he, I, okay, I, sorry. I mean, like if, if Fallout is an act of contrition, then like, do, yeah. you, do you want uh, more of his movies just to follow that same pattern and be like, I'm so sorry for everything I am. Yeah, I, I, I like, think ra- this ra- movie ra- ra- is Yeah, I, but they, I, and what, why, <laughs> is it okay at some point to move past that? Well, I, I th- that's what I'm wondering. That's what I'm. That's what I'm. I'm wondering that. I'm, I, I'm asking that same question. I think <laughs> this movie is a better movie for that, Darren. Like I think. Ooh, I, I think that just giving itself over to no thoughts, head empty, head empty, rah rah dad movie enthusiasm, is what you know, and is what makes it a better movie than. Uh, like you've you've got so many people saying this is better than the original Top Gun. Um, which is interesting, but I think part of it is that it's it's really just smoothed to down the edges so much. Yeah. Um, but I think to your point, like I think uh, the the idea of reputation laundering by these huge movie stars is is interesting because it's clearly working. Like we we I think it's easy to say that someone like Cruz isn't as bad as high profile uh, worse people, and I think it's true. But you know, ask ask uh, Nicole Kidman if she'd like to talk to the kids that don't talk to her anymore because they, <laughs> Cruz and the people that 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 have their hooks in him, poisoned <laughs> their reputation their their understanding of their own mother. Ask the uh, you know ask uh, Nazanin Boniati, the pre-selected girlfriend for Cruz before Katie Holmes who Cruz didn't get on with and who ended up watching the decks of Scientology's creepy cruise liners, uh, or what she makes of, of him. You know, I, th- I think, I think reputation laundering is an interesting thing for these big movie stars because we can see how it's increasingly, uh, important to them and viable for them. And I don't think that this movie is a huge example of it because I think it's kind of, he ha- is past that now. I think he yeah. has done it. 
which means that I get to enjoy the fun playing movie. <laughs> exactly. That's the whole reason Guilt why free. he has to his <laughs> reputation in the first place. Is so that, like, you can just kind of get past all those terrible things he's done and enjoy the, the, the fun play, uh, like fighter pilot movie. Right. Um, by the way, we should we should note by the way that it came out during the week something which is absolutely terrifying. That apparently, when the FBI was considering raiding uh, Scientology back in two thousand and ten, they actually had to make plans to like ground all of Tom Cruise's planes in case Tom Cruise would help like Miskovich escape to a non extradition country. But why would David FBI... Miskovich ever need to escape? I we can't FBI we down. can't say why, why? we can we only can't. speculate. We can only, and but not verbally, crucially. The, the, the reputation laundering thing is a really fascinating point to me because ultimately, like, you, you, you can just go bigger and bigger galaxy brand with this because um, ultimately there's a bigger and more powerful group that are using movies like this to launder their reputation. You might call them the U.S. military-industrial complex, (laughs) (laughs) whose impact is slightly bigger than Tom Cruise's, ultimately, in terms of net (laughs) negative for the world. But again, planes go fast. I like that. It's yeah, it's it's interesting how like like the the thing that Joe said about like that the movie doesn't like uh, labor um over kind of having to account for itself. Cuz you, you Can you, you imagine? You, can you imagine how the Exactly. It was like. but but also like you don't want to kind of rock the boat too much. Um as as in like they could have put in a line about like how you know, drones make it easier to kill people and there's less kind of like risk and cost involved in terms of human life. So it, 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 it makes it easier to go kill people. So you're going to kill people more. Um, and that it takes away the, 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 the kind of valuable stakes. So um, something like, say, Skyfall, talking about the importance of having a man pulling the trigger. That's sort of that's sort of like yeah, soul-searching stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but 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 I guess it doesn't want to do that because it doesn't want to come down too much on drones. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. What? Well, well, yeah, the drones only exist as a metaphor. Like the thing, like the the drones are a relic of the 2010 version because Scott Tony Scott wanted to make a movie about drones. You can when you're watching the movie, it really does feel like, uh, uh, you know, again, it do, does feel like you can feel the various iterations of the movie going by. Where like Ed Harris is in the movie for ten minutes and he talks about drones and he's called the Drone Ranger and his big deal is that he really loves drones and he really hates Maverick. That's his whole deal. And then he's gone and there's no other mention of drones in the movie whatsoever. And then you have, for example, um, you have like the thing of Tom Cruise teaching these kids and then Tom Cruise is teaching these kids and then it suddenly just becomes a Tom Cruise movie and it's like you can watch it almost like you can watch the movie iterating in real time which is kind of interesting yeah. that you can see like the movie kind of that it was, it would have been in 2010, the movie it would have been in 2015 and the movie it is now where it kind of like, as you're watching it, it kind of ha- it rewrites itself in real and time. It, it's funny. They kind of refuse it to grow old as well. Cause you yeah. imagine like kind of like Clint Eastwood and million dollar baby where at the end of it, <laughs> he, he's like, well, she's in hospital, so I'm going to have to fight instead of her. I'm going to have to do all the boxing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they say I couldn't do it, but I can't. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, all right, it just beats so, up this woman. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so 
Very quickly, then, just before we jump into the sports, just one more thing, uh, just because it came up, the idea of Tom Cruise saving movies. Um, because, uh, like, it is very much like, there, there is this sense of Tom Cruise positioning himself as, like, the saviour of American cinema. Uh, Luke mentioned the footage of him going to see Tenet, which we will include in the show notes, because that is Chris footage and the world deserves to see it. But he also, <laughs> while he was a can promoting this movie, announced that, like, he goes to see every theatrically released movie uh, in disguise yeah. to support the... <laughs> What? Sorry. No, he does, yeah. No, he does, yeah. I mean, I like to think Tom Cruise went to a, a sold-out screening of Morbius. That's what I like to imagine. I don't think Tom Cruise yeah, has definitely. been among the people since at least 1999. But, um, like, and, and you have, like, the whole big thing that he had, like, the big pushing argument that he has at Paramount, where, as Luke pointed out, Paramount have had, like, their relationship with Tom Cruise has been somewhat fractious. They dumped him in 2006, and so they were like, let's try and franchise Star Trek. Star Trek will be our version of Star Wars, our version of Jurassic Park. And that didn't really work. As we discussed, like, around about 2016, they hit a low point with, like, monster trucks nearly bankrupting the studio, uh, which is something that is just insane that actually happened. Uh, and now, obviously, they're they're on a comeback. This year alone, they had Sonic earlier in the year. They had Lost City with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, which did really well. And obviously yeah, this, which is... It's maybe a, a, a point where it's easier to kind of, like, do that and where to, to you know, have the courage to kind of put movies out. Um, yeah. when when people are I guess slowly returning to the cinema so so that they can um it feel it feels like um they're kind of um you know uh, back at it where where you get a sense of of maybe some other studios still kind of holding back a little bit yeah, well, Paramount were one of the studios that very much kind of sold a lot of their slate um, when the pandemic hit. So they sold, for example, the Lovebirds directly to Netflix, for example. Uh, even overseas internationally, they'd sold like Annihilation to Netflix directly as well before the pandemic. Um, and like that, that's the thing is that like these, this movie they held on to and this movie was a source of like real tension between Cruz and Paramount, where Paramount wanted this movie. There was some suggestion, Amazon and Netflix both apparently offered to buy it for large sums of money. There's no uh, mention of whether or not Paramount Pictures were tempted by the huge piles of cash that were apparently offered. But Tom Cruise, again, interviewed a can, and his choice of words was very particular here. He said he would not allow it to premiere on a streaming service. Yeah, and the thing about this is, and again, it's, uh, as, as the Cruise correspondent, it is worth me dragging him over the coals for this um because you get a lot of like kind of criticism or or kind of uh, cynicism rather lobbied at say christopher nolan or quentin tarantino or, or or certain filmmakers for their interest in maintaining certain theatrical experiences and it's like they stand to profit from, from those from those theatrical experiences the the whole thing of like Cruz is a genuine movie lover. I think he has nothing in his rotten heart except the, the movies. Really, okay, <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm not disputing that, but this positioning of him as like I just I just love movies so much, and that's why I think that they should come out in the theaters. And this whole thing, there was this whole thing where he was shooting Mission Impossible Seven. Do you remember during COVID, like, mental at people on, on the crew. They are in Hollywood making movies right now because of us, what we are doing here. I am on the phone call every night to studio heads and insurance companies, and they are watching us to see if they can make movies again. Yeah, and people's reaction to this was weirdly like, what a great guy who's trying to keep everyone safe as he's having this meltdown on set uh, in a way that they wouldn't if he was a like overweight 
balding movie producer. It was Christian Bale. <laughs> or, or or Bale or the people. Yeah, or, it's like with with Cruz, it's like this. Or oh, Nolan or, yeah. Or anyone. With Cruz, it's like he's. But with, with Bale, it was about him. Kind of. Like maybe maybe with Cruz it's about him as well. But that's this is the thing with Cruz. The perception is that, but the the perception is that it's not about him because Cruz has this perception as this kind of this movie lover and this this little lost boy, which he is both of those things. But the percentage of the of the box office gross that Cruz gets for Paramount yeah. movies is so yeah. inordinately large. <laughs> yeah, he makes more than the studio. This is the position that he negotiated himself into. Yes. He makes more than Paramount do when these movies do well. So he has a very, very big amount of skin in the game for these movies coming out to a lot of theaters and making a lot of money, which is what they do. <laughs> so it's it's like it's it's just funny because like this idea of him being this like altruistic, um, you know, it's it's it, it, it's it's very uh, self serving. Uh, which I, I guess is true of everyone in Hollywood. I but, imagine you know. the control is more important to him than the money. Because he does. I, do I I think the money's pretty important as well. <laughs> they're, they're connected. No, though. but like, what 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 does what does Tom Cruise spend money on? You know, like 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 we know about kind of you know Nicolas Cage and Johnny Depp and. Have you have you seen his houses? I, what I'm getting from this pre-spoiler discussion, Andrew... But how much time does he spend in his houses when... when... <laughs> That's not how rich people think, Andrew. But, Andrew, what I'm getting from all this is that... All he wants to do is make money. And his, and, and, and all he wants to do is make movies. You really no, need I, to watch I... Going Clear, <laughs> the, the documentary. <laughs> when are we doing the 250 episode on that? Because I'm sure on that one I get to say whatever I want. <laughs> no, I, don't, I, don't, I disagree with how... with Andrew's perception of rich people like i i used to think um like well elon musk or other super rich people how much is enough like remember when jeff bezos got divorced and he lost like nearly half his fortune and it was barely a speed bump he was like the richest man on the planet like two years later um they there's no upper limit to what they want so i don't i can't picture tom cruise saying like well, I've got a quarter of a billion in the bank, so that's grand. I'll make the next one no, free. I'm not, I don't, I'm not suggesting that he's asking for less money. And I don't know what, what like, um, I, 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 don't, I don't imagine our, our perceptions, like, kind of how rich people behave are, are, are that different. I'm just wondering. The thing is, Andrew, they, they fly so high. And and it cuts off all the oxygen to their brains, <laughs> and then they just become separate okay. to the rest of us. Okay, like they're the best of the best, and damn it, okay. they get results, but they're okay. just not human like us, and no, they can't live like us. Okay. There, there's no limit to how much money people want. Like Larry David is worth something like four hundred million dollars, and he's doing crypto commercials. Like there's the no Bowl, limit. Yeah. and also money and power are completely intertwined especially in hollywood so if Cruz could negotiate whatever x amount of box office and he like for himself and his films make this much money this all has a bearing on the budget of his subsequent films and what he can ask for uh, oh, yeah. in later films oh, but i also while i have the floor i just want to throw out my theory that 
people like Christopher Nolan and Tom Cruise, both of whom I like, I find it incredibly disingenuous when they say, oh, the magic of the crowd in the cinema. And like Nolan in his um, essay a while ago, he was like, oh, when you turn a corner and the cinema is empty, there's a pang of disappointment. And I was like, what planet are you on? That's like winning the lottery, having an empty cinema. <laughs> and so they, they go on about like, the magic of the crowd in the cinema as if people aren't like farting and answering their phones and eating stinky foods and all this kind of thing. They have their own screening rooms, but they're incentivized to tell us that there's nothing like watching a movie with a crowd. If you, screen. If you if took your phone had, out. If we all had IMAXs in our basements, I don't know how frequently we would be going to the cinema. Well, I mean, weren't there weren't there all those kind of again paparazzi photos of Nolan and his wife going to the local cinema when they were stuck in LA and stuff? Like, it's not as if he's talking out two sides of his face there. Yeah, if you took your yeah. phone out during a Christopher Nolan movie, though, he'd have you killed. Possibly <laughs> strangle you with a scarf. Um, but <laughs> yeah, but, I'm, I'm, Darren, I'm, I'm, I I think like these people, they don't just want people in the cinema, but they also want people not in their phones. And I think like Nolan and Cruz are anti farting. And that, that's, um, I think for Cruz, it's a Scientology thing. I don't think Cruz ever has. <laughs> I, I, I'm curious, though, like to, to Joe's point about, you know, the success of one, you know, leads into the budget to the other. I'm curious what you think, Darren, like because Cruz was so reluctant for so long to do another one of these. And yet because of the kind of movie career that he has now, like Top Gun Mavericks made like, what, eight trillion dollars. It is going to have legs at the box office. Yeah. It has an A-plus cinema wrong. score. It is the 50th like best movie of all time, according to IMDb. It broke all expectations. It is Tom Cruise's highest uh, opening weekend ever, his first over $100 million opening weekend ever, the highest Memorial Day opening weekend ever. Yeah, this is this is something that is probably so going to legs. So will he do another one, do you think? I can't imagine he won't. I can't like and particularly because the rumor is that like Mission Impossible is finishing up. He's going to finish up Mission Impossible. The rumor is that like Dead Reckoning Part One and Part Two are him finally saying goodbye to the franchise. And again, exerting a phenomenal level of control over the franchise where he is able to like deny paramount the right to make like streaming shows based on it despite the fact it began as a streaming sh- sorry a tv show uh like unable to make a streaming version of this despite the fact that they own this um and like again like Assuming just after you're... they finish though they'll be allowed you know, yeah that's, 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 that's... after they do part one and part two um, yeah yeah cruise is like finally letting go but I, I suspect he needs another franchise and i suspect this is it like what do we think he's going to do when he turns 65 like he's 59 already he's going to be 60 next month do we think he's going to stop and settle down do we think he's going to do like what joe said the wes anderson kind of career I, route I, I, I think he's going to make sequels to other films to other TV. oh like like risky business Two, da- more days of thunder uh rain man days of thunder is well, what i could see him revisiting nights of thunder days of thunder for sure i could see him going back to um edge of tomorrow i could see him going back to jerry Maguire. i would actually love to see a sequel to and i want him to be to pivot to being a hollywood agent so his agency his sports agency hits the skids he's only got one client left but thankfully that one client wants to move into movies. They've just about aged out of sport. And then it's like a whole new thing. And then um, Renee Zellweger has moved on and he has to win her back. So once again, he has to choose um, love or the business. Oh man, take my money, no, Jerry Maguire no, too. No, no, she could be not, in it too. 
I was I was going to ask, right? So that's the question. Not not to jump too far into the discussion of Top Gun Maverick, which I promise we will talk about at some point in this episode. Like, if he makes a sequel to any of those, do you imagine him bringing back any of the co-stars? I can't imagine him bringing back Renee Zellweger or Cuba Gooding Jr. if he makes Jerry Maguire well, too. With, with some of them, I could totally see him bringing back Zellweger because she is like a hot property again. Cuba Gooding Jr. has fallen out of favor, ironically enough, because of his activities off camera. Um, but yeah, I could see him doing it. Um, poor Kelly McGillis was older than Tom Cruise even back then, and unfortunately, time being our enemy, she's even older. Our or, greatest adversary. Uh, yeah, it's it's a well, day of reckoning that's coming for Cruise though, because like I and I don't mean this in a in a, in a mean way at all. Um, but I when I went to the screening of Top Gun uh, Maverick, they did one of those pre-screening hi i'm tom cruise and i'm here to show you blah 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 oh wow and on the screen yeah and did somebody stand up in your front row take off a mask and go i'm tom cruise oh i think i would have died (laughs) darren but 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 you know without the you know pre the 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 pre-shoot training regimen and without the digital enhancements that may or may like he was looking old and again i don't mean that in any kind of he, he just looked noticeably older than he has been and the the fact is you can't keep running <laughs> forever so maybe something like jerry Maguire, where where it is similar to what he's doing now but like he is going to have to find eventually a new phase of his career because again he's not going to stop he will never stop ever he is probably listening to, to this conversation right now he is the living space. manifestation of destiny I think, I think if you if you met tom cruise he would give you that great handshake and he would look straight in your eyes and he would know your name. And yeah. he'd, he'd be, and, and, and you'd have nothing. <laughs> have you guys, good thing have you guys seen? You're the, being glib, Luke. You're being glib, Luke. The clip of him on 60 Minutes, the Australian interview, oh, yeah. where this is really interesting because I had seen it presented online as how terrifying Cruz is, which again, he is. But it's this interviewer asking about uh, do you Nicole still Kidman have Nikhil? Yeah. Do you still have Nikhil? What happened there? And Tom, who he is in these two minds of maintaining that like Mister Nice Guy thing and being annoyed, and he's like, "You're crossing the line, buddy. You're crossing the line." Uh, and like he's like, the th- people are like he's terrifying and so, but it's like actually this is actually pretty reasonable as Chris goes. <laughs> he's asserting a boundary. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. That, like the, the the most interesting part of that is the bit at the end because there's a bit after they wrap footage where he goes that was a great interview that was a really great interview it's like really it's like yeah really great interview and he's like even that bit where I asked about Nicole it's like oh you got out of line but I, I knocked you back in really great interview really great interview yeah but again I think that that is actually pretty healthy to say yes we yeah, did have a disagreement about, yeah but we reasserted you know the boundaries we we, we made it work like, and we got to the end of the interview that is healthy the fact he probably had that interviewer killed afterwards though that's <laughs> okay allegedly. all right all allegedly all right all right it's all a right. really nice service that funeral i thought perfectly catered one might say as well there's so many things in australia that can kill a person <laughs> yeah tom so cruise who's to say, like, who's uh, to, say? Uh, to jump but, to tom cruise but like a, yeah i could have been a magpie I agree with with Luke that 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 was a healthy way to react because I remember when um, Robert Downey Jr. was asked about like his drug using past and he was just like, you know what, we're done. And he just like took off his microphone and stopped the interview. And 
it's much better to be able to say, I don't want to talk about that, but let's talk about the next thing. Not to, um, be, a, right. not to be a apologist, Scientologist. No. <laughs> oh, I like it. Um, well, a, no, should, a Scientologist, apologist. Should this movie be the, should, sorry, should this podcast be the backlash? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if it will, but, but like eventually there has to be a backlash against this movie, right? What? Be, be, because every uh, everybody seems to to to, to, to love, love this, yeah. Except but, Darren, but except me. I'm I'm the one grumpy person. You just go um, in negative expectations all the time. I did not. I was really excited <laughs> for it. I like. I really loved Fallout. I was like, we're like late stage Tom Cruise. I am here for. I'm here for Tom Cruise dramatizing my mea culpa. <laughs> <laughs> dramatizing mea culpa, uh, Tom Cruise. Um, but like, yeah, okay, and 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 guess like because we mentioned the getting old stuff just very quickly, like just before we jump into the spoilers, or before we jump into the three questions, like one of the interesting things about this movie because you mentioned Kelly McGillis doesn't come back, Meg Ryan doesn't come back, uh, the only actor who really does come back is Val Kilmer, and we'll maybe talk about that in the spoiler zone. But like, it's notable that the casting of the movie is very consciously designed to shift the dial in terms of t- like Tom Cruise's vitality and youth, where like the character of Rooster, who is the son of the character of Goose from the original movie, um, he is played by Miles Teller, who was not even born when Top Gun was out, which would seem to imply that Top Gun happened like four years later than it was, or this happened like four years earlier than like now or when it was filmed. Similarly, the character of like Jennifer Connelly, who is Peggy, she's revealed, I think, to be the Admiral's daughter, who is mentioned offhand. Well, those sort of um, the, the four years he held back. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, yeah. But also, like, Creed does that as well. And it's a bit of a suspension of disbelief. I, I know, I know. But it does seem like the movie wants you to think that, like, Maverick is not, like, 59. He's maybe, like, 48, like Jennifer Connelly is. I think that's what the movie's called. I have a theory about this, but we'll get into it afterwards. Oh, okay. We'll get, we'll get into the spoiler zone. All right. So, three questions just to get us started. So, I'm going to go uh, Scrabble. Do you yes. think I totally forgot my movie... call sign? <laughs> Do you think that this movie belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Uh, no, I really like it, but it's not one of 250 best films I've ever seen. All right, and naysayer. Do you believe that this movie belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? No, I really liked it as well. I, I, I. I... I had a great time watching it, but I'm not even sure that I agree with what a lot of people are saying, which is that this is better than Top Gun. I'm not sure I agree with that at all, really. Uh, so, no. Like, I liked it a lot, but no. I, yeah, we'll, we'll maybe talk about the Top Gun-ness of it when we get into this war zone, because I have, I have opinions about that, obviously. Um, all right, then. Newlywed. I mean, Fennec. I mean, Panther. Do you think this movie belongs on the list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? I do imagine that my helmet has like those things crossed out. <laughs> just crossed out. out. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah. <kinda> like... <laughs> and do each of them have like a design? Like, you know, like the panther is written in the shape of a panther, for example. Uh, a newlywed has like rings and like the D is a wedding ring or something. If there's, if there's one quality I want in a fighter pilot, it's indecision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that would be my character, right? Yeah, Maverick's like newlywed. I need you to pull up. I need you to pull up, newlywed. Pull up, newlywed. It's like well, it's like Fennec that's now, actually. Yes. Yeah, newlywed. Um, I need you to pull up. That's what she said. 
That's yeah, that's another Star Wars reference, but we'll get to that in a second. Sorry. But Andrew, do you think this movie belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Um like I I guess it it could but um but I don't think the the list loses that much from not having it either. Um it is very good. Um and um very enjoyable and very well made in terms of like um i know tom cruise kind of insisted on uh practical effects and people actually being in the planes which helps but it's also kind of like like quite coherent sort of action editing as in you always kind of know what's happening and you watch a lot of kind of um uh, CG and presumably there's a way of doing CG and you're still getting what's going on but a lot the, the, that doesn't really kind of it doesn't feel like that I guess, I guess there, like you know the kind of Transformers and other kind of disaster movies I kind of look at them and just looking at them because I haven't actually sat down and, and watched them aside from maybe um, I think did I see one of the Godzilla movies um, but yeah, you you don't get the same sense of like coherence, um, um, physical mass of having to map out an object because yeah, you're inserting yeah, it in yeah. a post. That sort of stuff. So that you I don't have an idea. I have another theory about that. that, but again, we can. Ooh, okay. Maybe get into... What, so the, what like, I was, sorry. I would say maybe the um for the two fifty. I I don't I don't have a problem with it being on, and I don't have a problem with it being like kind of taken off. I don't think the two fifty necessarily needs it. Um. But but it is a very good movie. Huh. Um, and and just to just second that because I get the sense I'm I'm falling into the naysayer role on this one, which isn't entirely <laughs> fair. I think this is a fine movie. Um, but I think that like to what you said there, like Cruz, as we mentioned, has become more conservative in terms of the people he works with later in his career. But he works with them for a reason. Like he works with Macquarie and he works with Kaczynski for reasons. It's because they are clear and competent and very good at doing what they do. Macquarie is very good at imposing structure on a screenplay. This movie has very clear character arcs, very clear dynamics. It has very clear setups and payoffs. It's a well-structured script and I suspect Macquarie's hand is a large part of that. And in terms of its action and direction, I would argue, and again, this is something we'll get into when we get into the spoiler zone and talking about maybe the original Top Gun a little bit. I think there's an argument to be made that Kaczynski is a much clearer visual storyteller than Tony Scott. I'm not saying he's a better visual storyteller, but I think he's perhaps better at situating objects in relation to one another and in providing a sense of visual clarity. And I think the movie is at its best when it is not emulating Tony Scott. It's not doing the sepia-tinted sunsets or the greased-up bodies playing with balls on the beach, but instead doing what Kaczynski does best, which is these massive impressive wide shots uh, that situate you in the middle of the action, allow you to see the objects in motion in relation to one another, which is the kind of thing that Kaczynski does really well in the virtual spaces in Tron, for example. I think it's part of what makes, I think, it's only the Brave, his firefighter movie, much better than it should be, and which I think is also part of the appeal of something like Oblivion, which is one of Cruise's perhaps underrated 2010 science fiction vehicle. So I, I would second what Andrew said there, just in terms of it's a well-made film. Uh, but for myself, no, I don't think this belongs on the list of the 250 greatest movies ever made. I think that Tom Cruise deserves something on here. I think that Cruise is a movie star, and there's probably an argument to be made for a monument to the movie star being on here. But I think that Mission Impossible Fallout is a better movie in just about every single way if you're looking for a Tom Cruise vehicle. And if you want to put a Tom Cruise movie well, on here, put on... 
Collateral is yeah. Collateral is a Michael Mann movie. Like yeah. a Tom Cruise movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but yeah, like I, I think like if you are gonna make a monument to Cruise as a movie star and a Cruise vehicle, and particularly like a late Cruise vehicle, Fallout is perfect. I think for that, it is it sets out to do what it does and it does it amazingly. This I I have issues with, which we'll get into in the spoiler zone. All right, and then Scrabble. Would this be on your own personal two fifty, your own two hundred and fifty favorite movies? No, it would not. Um, I thought it was really funny uh, when you sent me screen grabs of where it was in the top 50. And <laughs> it'd be it like sending. Yeah. yeah, it'd be like just above like some Hitchcock classic and then like in the same league as Apocalypse Now. And it's like, come on, lads. Come on. Uh, but was it above Rear Window and below North by Northwest at one point? Yeah, like, come on, lads. Like, um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like uh, I think it's fun. And I, I really like it. We'll probably get into more details about what works and, or doesn't later. Um, it works as a piece of entertainment, but not one of the like pillars of cinema. Come on. <laughs> um, all right, then. And Luke, what? Sorry, oh, apologies, apologies, naysayer, naysayer. Would it be on your own personal two fifty? Uh, no, what you should have done really for this podcast, Darren, is invited like all our dads that are available to 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 be <laughs> the guests because then you would get yes, it's the best movie ever made. <laughs> like you would get much more positive discussion and like we again like I I like this movie a lot, but I wouldn't put it on my own personal list of the best movies ever. No. My dad grew an American flag while watching this. I don't know how. I just turned around and it was in his hand. Um, my dad hates going to the movies. and he, he rarely goes anymore. The last movie he went to see in the cinema was Ford versus Ferrari. And he had a great nice. time. And he <laughs> is so excited to see this. Good. Like, not just, hey, I'll go see it. He is bouncing on his heels waiting to go see it. And he's going to have a great time. My, my dad's looking forward to The Northman. That's, that's my dad's treat this weekend as he gets to watch The Northman. Um, and Andrew... What about yourself? Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, we're we're going to keep doing this. I'm going to commit to the bit. Uh, newlywed Fennec, Black Panther, um, or just Panther, oh, apologies. Panther. Yeah, just Panther. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll call you Sex Panther later. It'll be fine. Uh, would this be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite movies? No, no, it wouldn't. I, 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 I liked it a lot. Like, I, 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 I can't really fault us, um, but it, it's not... It, it it wouldn't be on my own uh, list, no. Um, it's kind of um, it's just very enjoyable without kind of I guess kind of being especially uh, meaningful on different kind of compasses, you know. As 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 in yeah. it 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 is definitely about something, but um, and it has an emotional kind of a um uh heart to us but it probably isn't that much kind of um that it's about intellectually um not that a movie has to be but it yeah it it, it doesn't um no it wouldn't be on my 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 top 250 i did like it a lot um but no not uh, not not my own and I, I didn't hate this movie but no it would not be on my own personal 250 um much like luke kind of said i would probably put top gun ahead of it and i don't particularly like top gun i don't consider top gun to be one of tony scott's best movies um which is kind of maybe a situation which will be interesting to talk about and then finally just before we go to the spoilers on scrabble if listeners have not seen top gun maverick would you recommend that they pause the podcast go to a cinema where it will be screening for a 120 day theatrical exclusive window and watch it on as big a screen as possible 
Oh, who's who's being asked? You're Scrabble, aren't you? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely worth seeing. Um, I had a really good time. Um, it's very the um, two hours plus went by really quickly. Um, the action scenes, yeah, they felt really meaty, um, and they were well choreographed, well edited. It drives like as an action fan, it drives me nuts when action films are edited to within an inch of their lives, and there's no sense of the geography on the screen or like what is where and what was where and what, where are they in relation to each other. All of that stuff um, is done well in this film and it accounts for a lot. I like uh, Tom Cruise playing kind of roguish characters as he does here. Um, so, and it looks like a zillion dollars. It, it's a beautiful looking film. And one of my favorite things about cinema is that it only costs you a tenner or $16 or whatever to go see a $200 million film. Um, so yeah, go see it. Yeah. Um, I guess um, imagine if movies were just a thing that like the, the incredibly rich stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that, you have to pay a percentage of the budget. So it's like, yeah, you can go and see this. You can go see this French indie art house movie as many times as you want, but you have to save up for a whole month in order to afford to see uh, this movie Top Gun because it's $200 million. Though actually they are, they are experimenting with that in the States. I think Regal Cinemas as it or AMC are experimenting with like tiered pricing. So like the more expensive the movie, the higher the ticket price will be. Which See, is- I, I wouldn't mind that if they, I wouldn't mind that if like Drive My Car was half price to go see. Um, but what seems to be happening is they're just adding a couple of dollars to yeah. go see the Batman or something. But if they took a couple of dollars to go see Everything Everywhere All at Once or something like that, that could work for me. Yeah. Um, and naysayer, say the yay or nay. I'm going to say yay. I'm, I'm going to say my friend that I saw this with said that like you can see every dollar on screen uh, for this. And yeah, on that basis, I think these are the kinds of movies people want to go and see on the big screen. It's it's fun. It's not especially challenging uh it's it's it flies by it's exciting it is an it is an entertainment machine you know we ebert used to talk about the empathy machine which is true that is the power of cinema uh but the that i think Cruz has left all that behind uh and he he works with the entertainment machine now uh and there is a place for that and yeah i think that you should go and check it out on that basis You'll get yeah. you'll get what it's it's giving you, probably. And newlywed, Fedek, Sex Panther, um, would you recommend that listeners pause the podcast and watch this movie on as big a screen as possible? I think newlywed Sex Panther <laughs> <laughs> is my new um, your new call sign. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, I would recommend that people go to a cinema. And watch it. I remember w- watching the trailers. I think I missed the. Um, I think there was a Mission Impossible trailer that I missed. But yeah, the I, Dead I Reckoning came, part one. Yeah, I came in during the Avatar two, which I had already seen, um, and I have no interest in. Um, like, it, <laughs> and odds are we'll probably end up covering. Um... Oh dear, that's right. 
There was a time where I would just not go see movies. <laughs> like you didn't want to see, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, um, but I, I, I would recommend people watch this. And and also, I, I think on top of the entertainment, the um, the emotional core of the movie is affecting. Um, that it's it's very kind of well engineered that way. Um, I found myself crying, even though I, I don't think I really cared. <laughs> it was, it was, it was strange, kind of like how it just kind of, it, it felt like it had just done that to me. I was like, <laughs> um, like, like this kind of ninja piece of emotional kind of manipulation. So like, I think the movie is effective on, on, on that level too, but mostly it's, it's, um, it's extremely entertaining and you should yeah. see it in the cinema and I, I would second all of that like I mean for all of my problems with it the final third of this movie goes like gangbusters it's one of the best times I have had in a cinema in a while like it is just a powerhouse piece of blockbuster filmmaking and it's beautiful to see it on a big screen I've seen it in IMAX twice um, and the sound mix is incredible and yeah if you are at all interested in spectacle in, in mainstream modern cinema uh, this is pretty much as good as it gets. Between this and the Batman, you have been very much spoiled in terms of blockbuster films over the past year or so. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, go and see it. See it in IMAX. See it in as big a screen as possible. Uh, take your dad. Have a good night. Um, with that in mind, then, we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. I'm sorry. We're <laughs> too no, all of our listeners. Had to do it. Had well, that, that's, to that's, do it. That's, that, that's, that's definitely going in. We're, we're, you, know the Kenny Loggins were, you know the Kenny Loggins recorded a new version of that song for the movie and they just turned him down and used the old version, which I find kind of amazing. Didn't Sorry, Zimmer do some stuff with it? Um, or, or, or was it just with the... No, it was with the, um, I think, Top Gun theme that they did. Yeah, uh, Harold Faltermeyer. Yeah. yeah. Why mess with perfection? I'm so glad I Kenny logged into this. Um, <laughs> hey! <laughs> Did it take your breath away? All right, so Naysayer, what is Top Gun Maverick about for you? Top Gun Maverick is about Maverick. He's a fighter pilot. <laughs> Pretty good fighter pilot. <laughs> um, he has been a top fighter pilot for... 40 years or whatever uh so he should be retired he should be admiral but you know he's just so damn good <laughs> a top gun if you will that he can overcome any odds particularly if those odds are people saying he shouldn't be doing what he's doing anymore <laughs> uh he will eventually get those same people to go come on maverick damn it or 
to clench a fist their clench, fist. Like the clenching of the fist in intense close-up. I'm like, that. Like I, that's a special effect worth a million dollars. I told Darren, I'm a simple man. If, if, if you show a guy looking at a monitor silently clenching his fist, it's, that's three and a half stars right there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, actually, I, I want to ask this, like, what, what was it about, like, so when you said, Darren, you hated this movie, what was it that kind of clued you in? I'm just kind of curious how easy I am to read. Why do I hate this movie, Luke? Um, I don't hate this movie, but why do I dislike this movie, say, or not like it as much as most? I th- I think you don't like this movie because, or you're, you, I think part of what you don't like about this movie is in the way that it you know, nominally zags from a zig and then goes, what if we just kept zigging though? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think that we've talked about movies that have done that before uh, or franchises that have done that before. And you don't love that, you know, the, the kind of t- seemingly taking the bold choice or the daring choice and then actually just taking the safe choice. Uh, but, you know, what if the safe choice is actually the, the best of the best? Darren? Like what if, <laughs> the top one percent of choices like at still like <laughs> and what if what if the best of the best spends a whole movie training the other best of the best to be even better and then at the end of the vo- of it all he's still the best <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like it would be stupid not to, to to have him save the day then wouldn't it like yeah, I mean, like, again, like, what's interesting about this is, the, again, that not to, not to harp too much on, but the idea that this is a movie about, like, movie making and the idea that it's, like, about the triumph of, like, old practical effects, the idea that you cannot, like, subsume them into CGI, where you have this argument about, like, basically the studio looking at Tom Cruise and saying, why are you spending so much money doing this? Why are you going up in fighter planes at your age? Why can't you just do it in front of a green screen? Why can't you sit in front of a computer monitor and, like, program it like drones or, like, CGI or whatever? And, like, I find it interesting that one of the big, cool, central, like, pieces of the middle act of the movie is all these characters having to effectively act against a green screen, where they do a simulated version of what is the climax of the movie, where the walls are not real, but they're created by computer, and they have to react against those in real time. And how the movie's about, like, well, your reactions aren't fast enough or strong enough or convincing enough because those objects aren't necessarily real because you're not a real movie star. And it's kind of interesting that, like, the... And the fact that the run that they choose to build this around, like, the central... We'll, we'll get into the, the weird geopolitics of the enemy rogue state thing that's happening or whatever, or maybe we won't. But, like, the actual run itself is the Death Star run from Star Wars. It is. It's the trench run from Star Wars. It's you go down underneath the defenses in a canyon, you then shoot this tiny little space and you rely on your torpedo, like, angling just right to go down and cause a gigantic climatic explosion that you ride away from at the end of it, having, like, completed your mission. And I find it interesting that, like, if you're reading this as a movie about, like, Tom Cruise movie star, star of old-fashioned movies, or, you know, a story about Tom Cruise saving movies, it's kind of interesting that he's like, what if we did Star Wars, like, but for real in real fighter planes? What if we went back to the original Hollywood blockbuster, and instead of doing it with, like, models, and instead of doing it with composited effects, what if we actually just got fighter jets and fighter pilots, and, like, actually shot this on location, and did it more real than it was in 1977? I find that absolutely kind of fascinating in terms of, like, the movie 
And again, sorry, I know this is wanky and I know Andrew's probably like rolling his eyes at it. This is a movie about making movies. But the idea that, yeah, this is a movie about like the thrill of old fashioned blockbusters and the idea that it's it's one of the big movies that opens in cinemas after COVID. It's a reminder of how big and how special the like silver screen is. And it becomes about like the importance of that sort of spectacle and that sort of movie star kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think you, you could argue that the discussion of it is kind of wanky, but that's okay. Oh, sorry. sorry. I think the movie isn't, doesn't, doesn't really kind of, um, it's, it's, it, I don't think it's that apparent for like the, your average kind of, um, um, I think it, member. it keeps it simple, which is to its favor. Yeah. Like it's, it, yeah. rather than getting inordinately drawn and all that, it's a, it's a very streamlined narrative of there's still life in the old dog yet kind of thing you know yeah um uh, and and scrabble and what is it about for you what's what's kind of your your big read on this what's your big read on top gun maverick and um, i think it's two things it's it's one yeah uh machine designed to entertain us and extract money from us and then two it is a film about tom cruise as i mentioned earlier it's it like openly has people say, Tom Cruise, why don't you do stuff other old actors do? And he's like, shut up, that's why. And then the the film, but those two speeches, the John Hamm and Ed Harris ones, are within the first 20 minutes or something. So then the remaining, the remaining two hours is the argument against those speeches. Um, and I mean, I think it's it's telling that you have like both like Ed Harris, who is a character actor who is like slightly older than Tom Cruise, but is very much not a movie star. And you have John Hamm, who is a modern prestige television star, kind of making these arguments. And they are, as you point out, they're like the alternatives to Cruise. They're like, they're not movie stars, but they're making this argument to a movie star. And Cruise is like, let me put both of you in your boxes. Sorry. A, te- a ten is talking. So are you saying like, what? Who are you going to watch, John Ham? I don't think <laughs> yeah. so. <laughs> who don't want to watch that handsome face? <laughs> well, Ham has struggled to transition into movies, and I, I get the sense he maybe doesn't want to. Ham feels like he's one of those actors, like James Franco or whatever, who's like, I'm happy to be a character actor who is just the most handsome man who ever existed. I think Andrew described him as like a cartoon pilot, um, or maybe yeah, that was Thirty Rock. I think, I think that was Thirty Rock. Yeah. <laughs> but they, 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 the thing about the what you were just saying there and about how kind of you know Tom Cruise should just you know um hang it up I feel like there there's an argument for him being better at doing what he does than um any kind of younger actor yeah um out there like the, the that that's he is better than any of the kind of um uh my, uh, Marvel kind of players and um, like like Jeremy Renner for example in the um, Ghost Protocol the, or the Born Legacy or those sort of movies exactly, where he tried to the, replace the, a franchise the hope lead that he is going to kind of I, I, I don't think it's something that can be realized I don't think there is somebody out there who Whoa. can um, kind of ca- 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 carry it the the, the 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 way Tom Cruise does. Um, well, I think. I, I think what's interesting about that in terms of this movie specifically is part of what made it such a pleasant surprise for me is how entertained and invested I was in the the younger pilots other characters of this movie the younger pilots yeah because yeah, I suppose the idea of this movie is they gotta get the best of the best in to teach <laughs> these this new generation who are already graduates <laughs> 
Yeah, but, but and this, are in the top one percent. But, but this this just requires so much of the best of the best that they have to make them even better. And like I, I I'm not usually a big fan of Miles Teller. I liked him in this. Um, Glenn Powell, I really liked in this. Yeah, and 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 the, I couldn't help feeling at times while watching Glenn Powell that he could easily be the star of this movie. Yeah, like he is so. And the thing is. He is not really had that point in his career yet. Like he's like in his mid thirties or whatever now, maybe even older. And I enjoy him pretty much every time I see him. And he does have a versatility where he can be charming, he can be smarmy, he can be whatever. Um, and he's not yet really had that role. And part of the push and pull, I could see him becoming a, a big star. Yeah, for sure. yeah, well, maybe from this because as I say, like it's just doing big numbers and he's really good in it. But the part of the push and pull I did feel with this movie is that every time that I was getting into those characters and their whole thing, the the, the kind of the gravitational pull of Cruz is so strong. Yeah, of the movie star. And like yeah. s- story wise, it's like these kids aren't ready, and you know he's arrogant, and you know uh, Iceman literally tells him you need to let go. Rooster yeah. has a problem, and blah blah blah. And then the movie just gives up on that. It goes like, yeah. no, it's Tom Cruise. It's a Maverick movie. movie. Yeah. You, you need to let go by flying the mission yourself. Even, um, even, this, even this story, the, the kind of subplot about um, Rooster and his resentment of, of Maverick, which is very justified for several reasons. Yeah. Well, we'll come back to that. Um, and all of that. Like, it, it comes to this point of like, I got over it though. <laughs> which is, is funny to me. Can I just like while we're talking about the younger movie stars here, because I think this is kind of interesting because it's it's very much like Hollywood has arguably a movie star problem at the moment where it doesn't really have any young movie stars that the the headlines coming out of this were that like Tom Cruise is the last real movie star. But I think you could probably make an argument that Leonardo DiCaprio is Hollywood's last movie star. He's the last movie star who can open a movie by the power of his own name. Um, as opposed to anything else where he could power something like the revenant to like 300 400 million dollars worldwide he can like frontline quentin tarantino's latest movie and make it his highest well, that's a movie quentin tarantino it, 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 it was, is but i mean kind of a surprise and a kind of a a a meta quality to him even putting um uh, like the, the yeah his weight behind it or playing that role leo as, and brad pitt yeah 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 they the playing that character yeah, um, but but I think that that like Hollywood hasn't really produced like a next generation. There's no younger movie star quite like that in terms of so like you look at somebody like say say the stars of the Marvel movies, the biggest movie franchise on the planet. These are people who headline and open movies to like billion dollar grosses. Mm. Chris Evans can't open a movie to save his life. Um, Chris Hemsworth, like Chris Hemsworth has tried. Like Chris Hemsworth has done what you should do in this situation, which is use the leverage of working in these movies to work with interesting and talented directors like Michael Mann, which is again a a patented cruise move. Make Black Hat with like one of the most handsome men on the planet directed by Michael Mann. And it grosses $8 million in total in the United States uh, in its opening. Uh, You have things like... I love that movie. Oh, I, I, I love Black Hat. I love the Black Hat as well. Uh, but even things like, say, yeah, you, you have, like, this idea of these movie stars don't really exist anymore. Extraction, I think. Like- Extraction went to Netflix, went straight to streaming. Um, It did perform reasonably well on streaming, but if it had gone to cinemas, would it have made any money? And it feels like he could probably do like, it. Rush was terrific. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rush, Rush, was, Rush was great. Rush was kind of early on, though, as well. Rush was kind of... But, like, things like, say, um, the Bad Times of the Royale, which... 
which is this big old kind of starry movie with like obviously uh, this star sort of cast including like Jeff Bridges and stuff and it makes no money whatsoever and like Luke Even Vacation the- was good and that made no money so he's, he's, and that made no money yeah so he's made about like five undeserved flops so he's really cornered the market and undeserved flops. and i mean to, to be clear like i'm not picking chris hemsworth like out of nowhere he's not an arbitrary example like it's notable that like joseph kaczynski the director of top gun maverick one of the biggest movies in the world possibly the biggest movie of the year his next project is spiderhead uh, starring miles teller and chris hemsworth and the difference between Chris Hemsworth and Tom Cruise is the fact that Spiderhead is not getting a theatrical release. It's going straight to streaming. Like, that's the difference between a modern movie star and a classic movie star. There is nobody in Tom Cruise's league. Nobody can do this but Tom Cruise. But I'm uh, sorry to, to rag on Chris Hemsworth, but to bring it back to, like, the stars in this movie, the younger stars who are brought in, right? Because they've got, like, Miles Teller. And Miles Teller is this guy who makes this huge debut with Whiplash. And everyone's all like, he's going to be the next guy. He's this, he's difficult to work with, which is exactly what you want from a movie star. He's exacting, uh, but he's got screen presence. He's got, like, credibility. He could act really hard. He's handsome. He should be a movie star. We're going to put him in a Fantastic Four reboot. Oh, yeah, wh- why won't this work? Why isn't this working? Why won't this work? And then you have... But you have so many promising people in that movie. You, they, 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 Jamie they, Bell. Like, uh, yeah. Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, Michael. Yeah, in... But like... Any- And you point to like Glenn Powell and here's the thing, as Luke said, he's in his mid thirties. He should be a movie star by now. He has this incredible charisma. And like you look at somebody like Powell and Powell came to notice, came to prominence. Like Richard Linklater picked him out of the crowd to be part of the ensemble in uh, Everybody Wants Some, which is very much like Richard Linklater doing another Dazed and Confused. And you go back to the Dazed and Confused in the early nineties and that is packed with stars to the gills. People who are going to be famous, who have that like instant it quality that Hollywood can kind of pick up on and who are going to be powering, like, movies for the next 20 years. And Everybody Wants Some has that same thing, where you look at everybody who's in that movie, like Wyatt Russell, even Tyler Hutchner, for example. We mentioned Glenn Powell, Zoe Dutch. It's got this phenomenal cast, and none of them have really made any impact whatsoever because the studio system doesn't work like that. And, like, you look at Powell's output, and Powell is really great in movies. Like, he was really good in that, uh, is it Hidden Figures? Uh, He was really great in that Richard Linklater movie, Apollo 10.5, which is on Netflix at the moment. But, like, his really phenomenal performance, the one where you watch it and you go, this guy is a movie star, is in Set It Up, which is a romantic comedy that is on Netflix with Zoe Dutch, which is amazing, but which cannot exist in theatres anymore. Like, you have this man who is incredibly charismatic, like he was grown in a lab to make these movies, but these movies do not exist theatrically anymore. So you end up with this weird situation with, like, Top Gun Maverick, where you have the studio bringing in like this lump of clay, these two lumps of clay that should be movie stars by all logic, and then hire Tom Cruise to come in and explain how to be movie stars. And this is, and like, I, yeah, sorry, th- th- no, no, go, this go. is this is where uh, one. I mean, I don't think studios are ever going to look at their current IP-driven uh, models and think we're doing something wrong here. But this is where it eats into something else, because the actors don't have the opportunity to really grow or to really have those breakout moments and to really win audiences hearts over at least in the same way that they did before you know like the thing is if miles teller had been a success in fantastic four he would have been locked in for five more fantastic four movies uh like the actors that do that that have that opportunity to have audiences walking out and saying i love that guy in i love the bit where he did this blah 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 like an example i can think of with that is 
Tom Holland. Uh, you know, people love him as Spider-Man. But what has he done since breaking out that isn't Spider-Man? Uh, he the devil have... all the time, Cherry, all this, but nobody talks about them. Yeah, nobody he, watches them. Uh, partly because they're bad movies, but... <laughs> Fair point. Like, um, he's, the opportunities aren't there, because the opportunities to actually explore and do something good and to branch out and to find other people to work with and to find scripts that work for you, they're all eaten up by Marvel. Jennifer Lawrence has had the exact same problem, to a lesser extent. Uh, like, you see an Oscar winner like Brie Larson, and it's like, this is what I do with my career now. It, I'm now in the, the Fast revenue and streams movies. are different. Yeah. You know, and like, I think that, uh, like, pull, like, I think if this was less focused on Cruz, interestingly to me, even though I like the two performances, I feel like you would have to swap Powell and Teller. Yes. You know, Powell that was my big note. The son of Goose. Well, that, that <laughs> was my, like, that was, that was the big thing. Like my character, uh, Rooster, isn't it? But like, it, you understand why he has these two th sides of his personality. It, I thought it made him an interesting character, Rooster, that he has this chip on his shoulder, but he's got this, you know, these these residual memories of his dad from when he was minus four years old <laughs> that have him playing the piano and stuff like that. No, but like, uh, uh, like he, he drives very slowly. They just, they, <laughs> they don't have quite the same amount of screen time to really, like the, the, the stuff with, with Powell, I think works in this, but it just needed a few scenes more to really have that narrative of him leaving people hanging and then redeeming himself for for that to really pop. I think you could have really had a breakout character in this movie in Lewis Pullman's Bob. Bob. <laughs> uh, and like Pullman, you know, he's the son of a, a you know, character actor. Uh, but again, to your point, Darren, about not having that, like to, you're just caught in this loop then of waiting to break out. He was in bad times at the El Royale and that's like what four years ago now and like he was an interesting performer in that and yet here he is still in these kind of under the radar I think performances uh the actress that plays uh Phoenix I think it is she's really good in this but you're kind of lost like her narrative kind of just floats off into nothing because you're like who is she in relation to these other characters they never quite clarify yeah. it and they never quite pay it off and it's like everything comes back to Cruz and it works but this is the other side of it I think I think we we probably moved on from this, but I I feel like Robert Pattinson might be a good bet on kind of like who can break out. No, yeah, I I think he's 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 big in franchises, and then he did indie movies for about ten years. Like the I I love say Maps to the Stars, but that didn't have them like lining up around the block to watch the Wunderberg like, like, melodrama. I think a lot of people will start watching stuff like Good Time on kind of Netflix and they'll forget maybe that it wasn't this huge movie, you know? I think if the model was different, the the the, the same actors would still thrive. And, like, I think Pattinson can and is doing it to the extent that he can within this model. But, like, um, like I think that the, the way that this movie treats that whole passing of the torch and the legacy characters and stuff like that, it's very comparable... It contrasts very much to me with uh, Creed, uh, because this is a movie that goes, "Whoa, what if, uh, what if actually we let Rocky <laughs> do, <laughs> do the big fight at the end of Creed?" Uh, yeah. Like Creed, well, Rocky, Rocky Five, isn't it? Or Rocky Balboa, yeah, yeah. even but Rocky like, Balboa, which I is think, I love, and I love Rocky Balboa. To but be I clear, think most but, people yeah. would agree that Creed is a better movie, um, and you know the 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 character of Rooster is very similar to the character of of. Of a, a food in that movie, 
uh, and their narrative is very similar, but where they go is very different. Um, so, and it, uh, but but it's not perfect either because like Michael B. Jordan, brilliant. He does a Marvel movie, and what has he done since? He's directing um, Creed three, I believe. But sorry, Joe, you were sorry, Scrabble. Yeah, you were about to say something. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, I think it's it's a funny narrative we're forming here, as if um, Top Gun Maverick is Tom Cruise saying, "I am passing the torch." Psych! I'm not passing. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what he is. Just, but but that that that's that's what it, when I said it, you could feel like you could watch it being written in real time, where like it, it like the opening twenty minutes are the like twenty ten version of the movie, where like drones, it's all about drones and how Maverick is out of date, and then like this is like you know then the middle section is like the twenty fifteen version, where it's like, but what if like he hands it over to a new generation, like a Jeremy Renner type character, and then at the end it becomes the twenty twenty two version, which is Tom Cruise has called Paramount. He's decided that he wants a nuclear sub in the climax of Mission Impossible Seven. Your job is to make sure that it happens. Um, which, by the way, is a real story. Apparently, Paramount received a phone call from him saying, so, you know the way that we wanted a, a nuclear sub for Mission Impossible 8? It's like, yep. Well, we've decided that we're just going to bring it forward and it's going to be in Mission Impossible 7. It's like, yeah, but isn't that wrapped? And it's like, not really. No, not right now. I've decided it isn't. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, sorry. So it, it's kind of interesting that, like, the movie's thirds kind of, like, break down into that arc for Cruz as far as his career goes. But, like... But he flies so well. He, he does. Well, I mean, it, again, he's a big... He's a He's a somebody who flies the whole idea of flying came from him he ran famously a flight school for uh the various characters here like we should mention just in terms of like really boring behind the scenes stuff in case uh, andrew doesn't know this or in case like joe or, or luke don't know this like this footage was all shot inside real planes obviously but like because of the way it was shot the actors had like cameras inside the cockpits with them they would have to do their own makeup they would have to do multiple takes and multiple stunts and stuff. And then they'd have to fly down, land, review the footage. And then if the footage wasn't right, they'd go back up and film the scenes again. Like, Miles Teller has talked about how of the six actors who spent their time in planes, three of them spent every day vomiting on the tarmac as a result. And even those who didn't would occasionally still throw up as the movie went on. They talked about, like, doing that kind of, like, 5G stunt stuff where it's like you can feel your spine slipping back into like the chair or even things like remembering your cues uh when you're receiving when you're blacking out because you forgot how to do your breathing exercise during that 9g pull like the the production on this is absolutely insane and it's all because Cruz was like yeah i i fly planes now like the 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 plane that he's fixing at the start and the end of the movie is tom cruise's yeah yeah that's exactly so yeah yeah that's Um, it exactly it's actually um, quite good attention to detail the way one of the characters who's good at reading the speedometer is called Miles Teller. <laughs> nice. Can, can I, can I, like, again, just to bring it back to what Luke said there, like, a small complaint, but like, it's good writing. Teller, it was that, I really, really, I really appreciate that, Joe. But like, Teller and Powell, like, it feels like the roles should be swapped. I don't buy Teller as a, character who has ever had a moment of doubt in his life i don't look at teller and see his face and think that is a man who suffers from a lack of self-esteem or trusting ah, now, himself this is okay, where right. we this is where we bring back in the oh, little okay. dick energy theory Diane, oh here we go okay miles teller is another um you need, you may need to outline little dick energy for joe joe is i believe not familiar with the concept and listeners who may be listening for the first time i am super unfamiliar it's just a meaner <laughs> way of me saying that tom cruise has small man syndrome essentially you know um but but like miles teller similarly i think has that like 
and he's a, he he is a very he's he's very like so many of Tom Cruise's early performances where he's so tightly wound because he has to be the best of the best, and it's like you think of that ambition, but then you think of what's on the other side of that. You know what happens if you're not the best of the best, and that's what makes Whiplash so compelling is uh, the the intensity and that that the exploration of that that idea. Uh, so I, I I think he works here as 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 rooster because it's like he has become so consumed with the idea of being the top gun uh, that it has cost him something, and 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 it pays off nicely that he he uh, he kind of has a Darth Vader moment with with Maverick in that he restores his humanity to some extent <laughs> in the end. Uh, I, not I, but but there's more machine than man in Maverick now. <laughs> I should say that if if I if uh, Tom Cruise like and I, I know the little dick energy thing isn't necessarily kind of saying um what it seems to say but I think if if Tom Cruise had a little dick and if that troubled him um he would just learn how to have a big <laughs> and then he'd be teaching everyone on the set. Yeah, um, these, and his next uh, movie would be about obviously. that. He'd call up yeah, Chris yeah. McQuarrie and he's like, "I've decided what the climax of the next Mission Impossible movie is," um, and then McQuarrie has to work backwards from that sequence. It's like, okay, so we're redoing Eyes Wide Shut. That's what we're doing then. Apparently, yeah, I think we're 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 well past that because we can. I think the again the the contrast between the movie star that Tom Cruise was and the husk <laughs> that 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 runs now uh, with nothing behind the eyes. Uh, it can be really, it's it's just really interesting to see this because it is that legacy sequel and because there is such a big gap. Because... 36 years. 36 years between this and the original. Yeah, because, again, like, Tom Cruise in in the original Top Gun, he's, he's young, dumb, and full of, etc. Uh, you know, he it's, it's a very sexually charged movie, as has been pointed yes. out extensively. It has a pure capital uh you know a, a black tar heroin 80s romantic subplot um and it has that you know the, the homoeroticism that people have pointed out and that has been again just smoothed one might say <laughs> so much in this but again the 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 subplot with Jennifer Connelly in this movie it works for me on the level that I love Jennifer Connelly, and again, I'm, a, I'm an easy mark, <laughs> you know. But but the romantic subplot of this does not work for me because, and again, not to be mean or anything, but I simply do not buy this stage of Tom Cruise's career as as a as a human being that pursues romantic relationships. <laughs> like I don't <laughs> buy it. And every scene that they have together, like she's got chemistry with him, she's a pro. Love that Jennifer Connelly. And he, he doesn't not have chemistry with her because he is charismatic, but it's... He's got that smile. He's, yeah, but he's just... He's just... I'm really... Darren, I'm really trying not to be mean here. I'm really trying. I'm really trying not to be a naysayer. You, you just said that he's an empty husk of a man. With nothing behind the eyes. He's just not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> human in the same way that he was before. You know, Maverick was a young man with something to prove. You know that with a vulnerability to him, that that comes out in that romantic subplot in Top Gun. In this, to- well, Maverick is a guy that flies a plane really well. 
<laughs> He's the living manifestation yeah. of destiny. And, and Jennifer Connelly's just like, oh, that fly boy. <laughs> I, I thought it worked okay. Um, I I thought the romantic subplot was okay. Um, I, in I, that, I think. Sorry, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, thanks. Um, in that, like the the gist of it was that it didn't work out earlier, and he was too immature, and um, whereas now he's humbler marginally and he's he's more of a man he's more mature and he he has what it takes there's a, a springsteen song i love called um tougher than the rest and it's about being strong enough to commit basically and uh yeah it's like he he's strong enough to commit now and there's a little bit at stake as well just a single mother and like don't come into this like girl's life and this woman's life just don't break her heart again. again yeah don't break her heart again i don't care if it was impish that you fell out the window and that i saw you jumping out the window and um, so i thought i thought it worked um i it helped that like i really like jennifer connelly um as an actress and as a really good looking woman um it, that does help and she helps to sell it and i also like that it was vaguely like age compatible so there's something like 10-ish I think she's yeah eight eight years between the two eight years that's eight, like eight or nine depending on which side of the birthday you fall that's the high buy that we're going for you do, you do buy her as being as old as as his uh, peer as Tom Cruise's character in this movie yeah well that, that's <laughs> you it you just yeah. don't find Tom yeah, Cruise yeah. being 60 I guess yeah um, um, well but- I, I I think why it, I kind of it didn't really work for me is because that idea of Maverick he, he kind of has this death wish or at least this death ambivalence you know he's still a Maverick he is still ultimately more comfortable up in the air well, yeah that, that's the that's one of the readings of the movie is that he dies at the start and the rest is just like his brain in its final moments of consciousness constructing a tony scott Hobbit. i think that's very i think that's a very reasonable theory but 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 the 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 idea of like oh don't you know just don't hurt her and, and all this kind of stuff the movie just kind of drops it because like actually tom it's fine like it's fine <laughs> like he could just fly planes into territory and like he's do you not know he's the best like it's fine don't worry about Tom Cruise. He's got it all figured out, you know? So it kind of, it loses an emotional resonance, or it lost an emotional resonance to me because it, it did, the subplot didn't feel committed yeah. to me. Can, can I, this is the thing where I worry I'm going to be the grump on this podcast and where I'm going to do the thing that Andrew accuses me of doing where it's like the inseparability of Tom Cruise from this movie for me in ways that are uncomfortable. But this is yeah, a movie I that do, is... I do feel like it's not Tom Cruise. It, it, it's this character and that yeah and this, i this character I the feels of... like quite a different um thing in 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 yeah. in the sense that you you do have that stuff of of um that you have from fallout of 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 him being like um kind of coming back to say i'm sorry um but there's also a, a, a sense in which she's kind of like actually i'm 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 not i'm not going to do this and he's like uh yeah okay yeah then like i I feel like on both occasions on the first occasion when she kind of like turns him down and says we're not going to do this again and on the second occasion where he comes back to find her and she's not there 
I think he he's kind of you know capable of 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 of, of, uh, of moving past that. But my issue is is more that like again it's it's kind of like the movie is structured around like the original Top Gun is like one of the defining Reagan era movies. It's not the best 80s movie, but it's perhaps the most 80s movie. It's a movie about like rugged individualism. It's about the idea that you should not let your ties to other people like weigh you down. Like Maverick needs to believe in himself. He needs to like not think about anything but himself. And when he starts thinking about like Goose's death and feeling responsible for Goose's death and starts to worry about the obligation that he owes to other people, it starts slowing him down and he can't perform as efficiently or as ruthlessly as he needs to do. When he's concerned about his father, who was disgraced in Vietnam, he can't perform as efficiently as he needs to. Over the course of the movie, what he needs to do is he needs to let go of those things. Like at the climax of Top Gun, he takes the dog tags of his dead partner and throws them into the ocean, symbolically freeing himself of any sense of responsibility or debt to another human being so he can become the best, most individualist version of himself. And again, like that's the classic like Tom Cruise narrative. It, it's the kind of like, it's the same story as Risky Business where he has to learn like he's a student. He has to stop worrying about other people and expectations and just embrace like capitalism unchecked capitalism and you know possibly pimping as well like that sort of stuff like it's very kind of like of its moment uh very like devoted that idea whereas maverick is is very much like no he's got to come back he's got to be selfless he's got to learn to train these people his his greatest fear is that these people won't come back which is like the reverse of the lesson from top gun where like he's told you're gonna lose people you need to let them go and like he doesn't progress in top gun until he learns that here he's like i'm not gonna lose anybody and he doesn't and i think like for me part of the issue with the movie is that like so much of this is like, look at how selfless Maverick is. Look at how generous Maverick is. Look at how much Maverick gives of himself and how humble he is and how he accepts all this stuff and how he takes all this stuff on the chin. Whereas the movie around it is structured in such a way that like Tom Cruise is not a generous star in any way, shape or form. Like Jennifer Connelly's character is transparently just nostalgia for the Kelly McGillis character, right down to the fact that she owns, like she owns a retro car. She's very much like, she's meant to be the Kelly McGillis character, but Kelly McGillis is old and fat and so can't be in the movie and would remind you of how old he is. So we'll just replace her with a new model. Things like Meg Ryan. Kelly McGillis isn't kind of like, um, she she took that whole thing kind of rather well. Just, just like it. I, I was confused I'm, I'm as to whether my choices. It was oh no to no be I, the know, I know character. I know I know. I, oh, sorry? I, I was confused as to whether it was supposed to be the same character. Because she wears the same jacket, she drives it's, the same it's, car, it's like bar, it's... like you know. He has yeah. A the the, the, the the character is referenced in the in the, in the original Gun, Top Gun. Yes, she is. She's the admiral's daughter. But like yeah. my my point is then. But like even if you kind of step beyond that to things like say Meg Ryan, who is still an actor who is working today, who is still an actor who is around, um, who like you could bring back and people would recognize. But she's not in the movie, and she isn't in the movie because Meg Ryan turned it down. She's not in the movie because according to Joseph Kaczynski, there were conversations early on, and that was not a direction we chose to go. And what you end up doing is you end up having like. You have the thing where Luke mentions you have the tension between Rooster and Maverick, where Rooster hates Maverick because Maverick, he believes that Maverick held him back from going to Flight Academy for four years, presumably setting him back the minus four years uh, before he was born that Top Gun happened. Um, but like you have this idea then that like when he's in bed with Penny, Maverick says, well, actually, it turns out it was his mother, played by Meg Ryan, who conveniently died off screen. And like, so I'm going to bear this cross because I'm such a nice guy. But just so the audience knows, 
Maverick really is a nice guy, and he didn't do anything that would hurt Rooster. It, it is a story about people just realizing that Maverick is great and right. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Rooster might have hated Maverick because he threw his dad's dog tags in the ocean. Like, he might have wanted to have those, you know? I think it's very reasonable. <laughs> it's, it's funny because it's not, it's, not it's not an effort of him to try and convince people that he's a good guy. Yeah, as in, it's the they movie. Just, he, they just come yeah. to it themselves. He just wants yeah. what's best for everybody. Yeah, and you and know, the movie itself he, understands. He's not, yeah, he's not trying to convince uh, Rooster that he ought to kind of think of him as an uncle. He just yeah. wants Rooster to 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 live and survive. And and with with Jennifer Connelly, he's not going to push their romance either. Yeah, like, and it just kind he, of happens because he knows that it, 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 it like that it could be damaging. Yeah. For her, and he doesn't want that to happen to her. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think that's that's the difference between say Fallout and and Maverick for me is that like Fallout is about like Ethan Hunt is is not a person. He's not a human being. He's a manifestation of destiny. He's a he's a form and function united into one pack. He wants to do what he wants to do, and nobody's going to stop him from doing it. And the movies don't try and pretend that like Ethan Hunt is a fundamentally good human being at his core because it, they don't pretend that he's a human being at his core. And I think that that's disconcerting to me about Maverick is that Maverick does the same thing that Mission Impossible does with Ethan Hunt, but it then tries to layer, oh, but he's a nice guy on top of it all. And I, I, I don't really buy it, which I know is probably a shallow thing and I know it's probably like something that baggage from like Cruz's career outside of the movie itself but it's a problem it's a block for me in terms of getting into the movie and it's why I like it a bit less than than I like Fallout sorry and and just because we kind of alluded to it like because we're talking about the original Top Gun now like the weird Tony Scottness of this kind of threw me off where it seems like Maverick is not sure how nostalgic it wants to be from any given moment to the next which is very disconcerting to me so like it opens with the opening credit sequence of the original Top Gun on an aircraft carrier at dusk, like it, with the Tony Scott shots. And we don't come back to an aircraft carrier for another 90 minutes. Why are those opening credits on an aircraft carrier? But aside I, from the fact that they were... That's setting the tone, though. And that's what, like, I, I, I would, I found that the nostalgia worked for me in this because it was generally more grounded in tone than in okay. throwing something at you and saying, hey, remember this. Like I, I, I think it would have been very easy. Uh, and look, I wouldn't have had a problem with Meg Ryan working, but so many movies would just cart out Meg Ryan and have her say to Rooster, "This is what happened," blah blah blah, and then she'd disappear from the movie. And I think, insofar as it does do that, I think it does it in a uh, a restrained way, so that when it when it calls back to the original, it 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 is earned. Like there, there is one, and we've mentioned it already. There is one other cast returning from cast the original that returns and that scene works really well uh because it doesn't overdo it but i i i think there is there is there is a there is parts of it darren that you know yeah i think it but like is, there are like 15 minutes of stuff that's shot at sunset to evoke like the style of tony scott which is very much like again like top gun like days of thunder like revenge like uh beverly hills cop 2 and then the rest of it's just shot in the middle of the day with clear blue skies it's really disconcerting and there's things like the the constant use of the score that includes obviously danger zone includes harold Fultermeyer's theme but very rarely includes like uh take my breath away which is a very odd omission as well and things like say the the volleyball scene on the beach which again is like greased up men playing football to evoke homoeroticism to evoke that sexuality but the movie itself is 
incredibly sexless, particularly when you compare it to something like Tony Scott's early filmography. Like, there's a moment at the, like, you know, at, when he comes into the room with Penny, where they, like, kiss and they fall onto the bed, and then it's it's like they've had sex, but they're also, she's still mostly clothed and stuff. It's, it's, it's very, like, a lot of those, like, uh, like, a man and his dog movies that we've talked about. <laughs> it's that kind of, like, uh, Christianity's not there, but it's heavily implied kind of vibe. Yeah. Uh, but again, I think that comes from pulling everything back to Cruise, because the the scene where you're introduced to all the young pilots is, you know, I think it has a, uh, it has that kind of dick swinging and that kind of sexual energy. And again, you have that character, Phoenix, that is given some sort of relationship. Who hits Rooster to, in the crotch with to the... Rooster, with the, yeah. With the st- but it's all left very vague and undeveloped. <laughs> um, and what could have been done with all of these characters is kind of just left by the wayside to to, to focus on Cruz and how he's actually great. <laughs> but what, what about you, Joe, in terms of like the, the any of that nostalgia stuff? Did it bother you? Was it the right amount? Was it the wrong amount? Was it distracting? Was it... I I'd agree with Luke in that um, there were callbacks and then a lot of it was aesthetic, stylistic, the score and the visuals and stuff. I was a little concerned going into this film that it would be like um, Solo, the Star Wars film, and some of the other... Star Wars properties. some Some of the Star Wars franchise and some of the Marvel stuff as well. A lot of it is, hey, remember this guy? Here he is. Remember this gun? Here is that gun. And a lot of it is... Hey, I bet you wondered why Han Solo is called Han Solo. It'd be like if there was like a biopic of me and they had to show a scene where I was riding a mythical beast to explain why my surname is Griffin. Like there's, you don't need to do callbacks to every moment. And and Solo especially felt like just a second. That you wrote a Griffin. While drinking a cup of coffee. (laughs) What's that? Implied that you were riding a griffin while drinking a cup of coffee. Yeah, That's why exactly. You're Joe griffin. Yeah, yeah, like Joe Griffin. Um, but yeah, like so. There's some of them. I I think um, Spider-Man: Far From Home was a bit like, "Hey, remember this guy? Isn't that deadly that he's back?" And like they sometimes yeah. create moments so that people. Stand <laughs> up and- I love that. I love that you can hear Hatter going. I do remember that guy. It was great that he's back. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, That's like. Uh, Doctor Strange uh, uh, Multiverse of Madness is, is, is like, it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> all those people are there. Yeah, oh, this is great. Oh, uh, so like, uh, I think Top Gun kind of tries to make you feel like you felt, sorry, Top Gun Maverick tries to make you feel like you felt watching. And, but and it, doesn't, no. it doesn't honk it. It doesn't like air horn. Like, this is the thing. And the, the Val Kilmer scene is really good because it serves a narrative purpose um, and a character purpose. And that, like, I actually, I love Val Kilmer as an actor. Um, I think he's he's always so compelling on screen. And he's so singular, even when, even pointing to a monitor. A monitor. He's, he's so compelling, like. Um, and then also the using it as a chance to show the kind of domestic... Uh, gentle, nice life that a 60-year-old could have. 
uh, sorry, lives in a nice domestic, uh, Iceman is in a nice domestic house. And there's the implication that he has grandchildren and he has all these career achievements and he has a study, and <laughs> which I want one day. And, <laughs> But but like it, it's a really lovely scene. Like it, that would be a lovely scene, even if Val Kilmer had never been in the first movie. So I I didn't quite care for this football callback. I I agree with what I read in an interview with Stanley Kubrick once, which is that watching people having fun is not fun. But I, that was the only that was the only real kind of hunker of a concession to the previous films. I didn't quite sit right with me and i guess it's like what well, i don't know these actors have been working out and living on grilled chicken for six months so they have to pop their shirts but to apparently, apparently according to glenn powell um they would like film that sequence repeatedly over the course of the movie to prevent the cast from feeling too comfortable they they, they warned the staff they warned the cast they were going to shoot it several times during it so it could happen at any time you would be told that you were going down to the beach to strip off your shirt and that's so like sinister that. Powell's talked about being terrified. Like he spent the entire, he was more terrified of that than he was of the aerial dogfighting. Sorry. That's the the opposite of the ethos of the actual scene. So like, so the filming of that scene is to keep people on their toes and to like torture them to starve themselves (laughs) to this impossible body standard. And then when you watch the scene, John Hamm is like, I'm so handsome, I disapprove. And Tom Cruise is like, no, this builds teamwork and it's great for morale. So it's the exact opposite. And look, Bob gets to keep his shirt on. The reality is Tom Cruise (laughs) is the John Hamm. Like, he's the one going up to people on set going, who's not eating broccoli? (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, Bob keeps his shirt on because he has body issues. I love Bob though. Bob's <laughs> yeah, great. Need more Bob. Those those body issues were created by the um, ad industrial complex that started in Madison Avenue in the nineteen sixties. Nice. But nice. but why I think a lot of that stuff works really well is that I like you don't have to have seen Top Gun to enjoy this movie. I don't think. Yes. I know a lot of people that have seen it that actually. Like Top Gun is actually relatively, I guess, maybe less so in America, but it's it's not the kind of movie today that's like, oh, you have to have seen it. Yeah. I think among our generation, like if you didn't see it when you were younger, I don't think it's one that people came around Seek to out. really, uh, for 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 different reasons. And so, but people know there's a thing on the beach. You know, people know he rides a motorcycle. People know people know that Dangerous died. On. Yeah, and I think it did a good job of of giving you that without going, without f- f- being like you're not rewarded if you don't know who this. Do you know what I mean? Like the 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 Honestly. reward, like you're a animal in a cage getting a pellet kind of aspect of a lot of these movies is uh, disquieting <laughs> to me. And this shows that you can do something like that without. It feeling that way and it's interesting especially if you compare it to say Blade Runner 2049 which is a movie I really like but that movie was really based off of a disproportionate understanding of the amount of yes, people modern viewers that have seen Blade Runner you know whereas this is like yeah Top Gun Danger Zone you're, you're pretty much there yeah well, just I want to come back to that but just to mention on Val Kilmer because we talked about that scene and I actually did I, I I kind of teared up at that scene I think that scene is incredible and deeply moving and amazing and like just yeah. great for Kilmer it's like, got a nice button too yeah uh, oh a, with, the, with the bit at the end where it's like don't, this is a nice conversation don't ruin it 
um, which is a lovely joke. It's because it, it's not too sincere a saccharin. It um, it has a dignity that 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 actors are rarely afforded, uh, yeah. or really get the opportunity to get. You know, uh, when they're kind of in that stage of their lives, you know, and yeah. I, I I think that people. Val Kilmer is another actor that has had a reputation for being difficult over the years, uh, but he's a, he's a, he's a great performer. I think he's, I think it's just nice the idea of somebody getting that dignity of and that that kind of what send off because that sounds kind of bordering on the morbid, yeah. But 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 the opportunity to 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 have that moment, which is tender and it informs the story as well. Like it's not just we're going to park the movie to do this. Uh, like it but, works within the narrative and, and it works well. narratively because when you lose Iceman then you obviously you have Maverick placed under pressure which is a nice kind of shift in the dynamic and has a nice bit of tension narratively speaking I mean it, it like explains why he's at this point in life yeah and also explains the the kind of the the, the stakes the in the third act yeah it does also show that, that Maverick has just ascended to a higher plane of existence because like you know, like Ed Harris, like he's a very—he was a contemporary actor to Cruz. <laughs> so is Kilmer, and like Maverick is just like these men have decided to age, and I have eschewed that decision. Well, I, yeah, I, I didn't want to bring that up because I worried that sounds kind of sinister. But it is interesting. Like Kilmer is the only one who comes back, and he's an actor who doesn't literally, unfortunately, doesn't have a voice. Um, so it kind of it does feel a little bit like Cruz is because that's the thing where where uh Kilmer had to fight for this role. Kilmer had to actually go out and like on social media say, I want to be in the Top Gun sequel. Why aren't I in the Top Gun sequel? I mean, uh, he's right to do it. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, denigrating it. I'm not saying that it's like, it's, it's oh, know, uh, yeah. shameful or anything like that. It, absolutely. Um, the movie is better for having him in it. And also particularly actors with that sort of condition get erased and forgotten. Like we mentioned Kelly McGillis. Kelly McGillis wasn't even offered to be in the movie and she just got old. That that was her big sin and she's out of the movie. Um, I think it's entirely well, fair like, for some... Do you just bring... The, like we would complain about the kind of perfunctory sort of um, introduction of these people into the movie. If, if, if it was just to kind of like uh, please uh, but, people who had watched Top Gun. But it's not it's not that. It's like if you slot if you slot McGillis into the Conley role, if you make that character Peggy, um, and just change a couple of details where she's not working at a bar, Why? she's working Why? Because it's because the whole thing is he's coming back to Top Gun and he's reconnecting and repairing his past relationships and so having that old relationship repaired. Like the Conley character Penny is a stand-in for that character. She drives old cars, she wears the old costumes, she's an old love affair. Like she's transparently meant to be the old love interest from the like it's disconcerting. People watching that movie, like who haven't seen Top Gun, will assume that she was the love interest from Top Gun. Like I think Luke mentioned not being sure whether or not she was supposed to be at one point. Like the same character, yeah. Why? Why is that a problem? I think the movie was okay. would be largely the same either way. I think it yeah, comes that, down that's, to that's my point. That the, what, anyway, no what, what 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 thing in your brain makes you go, "I want to watch Jennifer Connelly." Like, does anyone? Does anyone not like Jennifer Jennifer Connelly in in this movie? I think we all. This is a very pro Jennifer Connelly podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm and sure. So what's the problem? I, I, okay, I, okay, I don't. Okay. I don't get that. It's, okay. uh, it's, somebody, I, I, being, it's somebody being denied a job because they're because old, because of their age and appearance. Yeah. Uh, Gillis doesn't have a problem. <laughs> she doesn't want to to like she 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 said kind of like I'm fat. I'm I'm old. I'm not in that world where I'm trying to kind of, you know, keep 
um, in in that sort of shape where well, I'm kind of uh, like uh, able to be in this movie. I'm 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 like you know concerned with other things in in my life, and and I like she's not bitter about it. And that's and I that's don't, the... I don't know why we're bitter on her behalf. Oh, okay. No, I, I'm I not think bitter that's... on her behalf. I'm more making anyway. Sorry, I'm just making the point that it's like we recognize that like bringing Kilmer in and writing around the changes to Kilmer in the years since the movie came out is a good thing and it's something that like adds emotional depth and complexity to the relationships in the movie and it makes the movie better yeah and I just I I wonder why that doesn't apply to Conley but that's that's grand I I Um, think I think I think it's about the it's about maintaining that principle you know I think we agree that it's nice that Kilmer had that and I think that it's fair that you know, make it, you don't have to want it. Kelly yeah. does, does, doesn't want it. And that's yeah. absolutely appropriate and reasonable and understandable for her as an individual. Uh, but it, when you're considering the wider picture of what Hollywood does with older people and people that might have, say, the difficulties that Kil- Val Kilmer has and things like that, broadly, the understanding that it, it is good to give people these moments while they're still around and that it is good to tell certain stories, even like that's a two minute story essentially, but the principle of it, I think is worth holding on to, you know? And anyway, anyway, sorry, not we'll move on, but I just one more thing then before we wrap up, just cause I think Luke mentioned it. This is being praised as like possibly the best legacy sequel ever made. It's, it's regarded as like a lot of people are championing. This as one of the best sequels ever made and particularly one of the best sequels made at a remove from the original film. I would argue Creed is better, but we'll not get into that right now. Is there an argument in making Top Gun Maverick for maybe making legacy sequels to movies that are less culturally impactful or important uh, than, say, Star Wars or Ghostbusters or whatever? Where, like, nobody's, as as Luke pointed out, people go to this who have not seen Top Gun. I've had people ask, do I need to see Top Gun before I go see this? Uh, And the answer is, no, not really. You can pick it up by cultural osmosis. And is there an argument maybe that, like, this is, if Hollywood's going to cannibalize itself, this is a healthier way of doing it to make movies that people have kind of forgotten about. Sequels to, to movies that people don't really care that much about or aren't like that invested in. The, the, those other movies don't have crews though. Like crew, like crews <laughs> is the, no, I, I just mean okay. that that's the buy-in for people or that's the, mm. it's not why it's not necessarily why people are buying a ticket, but it's what gives them the, in this modern cinematic landscape, that's what gives them the buy-in not needing to know what, Top Gun is, or not having seen the original Top Gun. Like I mentioned, Days of Thunder earlier, but I, I would maybe like to see it, but I don't think it would work with audiences because they don't have the name recognition with Days of Thunder, and they don't have the oh yeah, it's got a scene where this happens. Got I would, I would be like they, they better recreate the wheelchair race <laughs> between <him laughs> down the hospital and uh, bring um, back Nicole Kidman. I'm sure that will be a wonderful uh, set. Oh God. Um, uh, uh, they're called Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> yeah, um, but to to do this with, like, I, I, you know, could you do this with command? Could you do Commando too? Like, and <laughs> oh my god, yes, please. <laughs> I mean, Commando. Yes, you could do it with Commando. <laughs> but well, they've uh, been trying to do it with uh, Conan the Barbarian, actually, which I'm kind of interested. In. They want to do like a late stage Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan the Barbarian movie, which I would be behind. I think it depends on Joe's the eyes. Like Joe has seen Paradise, and it looks like a late stage Conan the Barbarian <laughs> movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Sorry, like yeah, I think it, like they wrote it and everything. So come on, lads. At the, I think John Milius wrote Conan the King. 
And I'm, I'm, why not? I'm curious though whether um because Schwarzenegger has done some movies kind of in recent years. Are any of them any good? Are any of them promising? Because I I've I had seen <laughs> kind of um I think it was was it collateral damage I saw and I was like oh no, that was two thousand and two just to put that in perspective no like, no no yeah but th- th- I still count that as kind of late, recent late um, Schwarzenegger la- la- See, like uh, he... uh, Schwarzenegger where 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 and and watching it I'm thinking oh no no that's it that, that, there's no <laughs> he... kind of uh, there's no more kind of to he he's still doing them and still getting paid to do them and probably getting paid a lot but but like. There is not going to be another good uh, uh, Schwarzenegger movie, and am I wrong? <laughs> he has gone to this well a few times with with Terminator to different degrees, and it, the the but again, this is where I mean it depends on the movie and it depends on the the actor because what the Terminator franchise is just such a mess and just has so much that it's trying to do, like that last one, whatever it was, Genesis. That movie. That movie would be watchable for about thirty seconds at a time, and then some other bull would come. I'm just completely derailed. Um, and that movie's attempt to be like that movie's attempt to be like a send off for Schwarzenegger or a legacy thing for him is just completely undercooked constantly by the next stupid thing that it does. Or it's it's unfocused. Joe wanted to say something Scrabble. there. Sorry. Oh, yeah, okay. what, yeah. What's, what's um, the example? Okay, so I thought Terminator Dark Fate was pretty great. But by that stage, the um, the franchise had so many duds, and and Genesis was bad. Um, so they they'd kind of run it into the ground, and this happens sometimes that they the franchise kind of runs on fumes, and then they have like an actual good film quite late in it, but the audience is like, ah, ah no, we've been burned a couple of times. Nah, don't try and pull that one on us, and they don't go see this uh, pretty decent film. Um, Schwarzenegger is not a draw that he was, but I, he's doing quite good work. He was um, really good in Maggie. Um, yeah. About a, With Abigail Breslin, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. About a, a guy who's it's like a really dour kind of horror drama about a guy whose teenage daughter um, becomes infected with a zombie virus. And it's really weird to watch it during COVID, which I did. Because um, it's about isolation and all that kind of... and. Uh, communicable disease and how it changes your mindset and all that and Schwarzenegger is really good in it oh, but good. it was very low-key yeah he's doing good work but I'm glad to hear that he's not a draw and um, he's doing a Netflix series which I read about in the Schwarzenegger newsletter that he personally writes and I have subscribed <laughs> <Wow>. to <laughs> he's JJ Abrams production company is making a spy series uh father-daughter spy series in the same kind of vein as True Lies called Fubar. And um, they're they're making it like it's it's kicking off. So I think it's totally plausible that there'll be a Schwarzenegger Renaissance. Our Renaissance would have been much easier. Um, <laughs> and if so, I'm totally here. Renaissance. Um, but legacy sequels, yeah, I'd be totally up for legacy sequels. A Few Good Men, I think would be great. More Good Men. A few more good men. <laughs> a few, a few good men more. Is the newsletter just kind of uh, movie stuff, or is it also like about business <laughs> and politics? And, so uh, it's uh, 
it's a it's a bit of everything. It's whatever you're having yourself. So it's it's stuff that he's interested in. So the about the environment and uh, solar panels. It's always podcast gold on the two fifty when we accidentally stumble into something that Andrew actually is interested in talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so come out, Joe. <laughs> it's it's once a month or so. So it's he talks about he talks about like inspirational kind of self-helpy stuff and then about sometimes about politics um sometimes about the movies he's working on and then he does he invites people to ask questions as well um so i actually, I actually did write in i asked him uh, <laughs> i asked him to talk about crusade um and uh he didn't reply i'm sure he gets lots of messages but anyway and then he does his favorite song or whatever of the moment or his favorite TV show that he's watching, he talks about that. This, this is like oh, Chomsky. <laughs> like you can just write to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Should write to Chomsky about about Crusade. Yeah, ask, yeah, yeah, ask, yeah. Ask how he feels about Crusade. Ask Schwarzenegger about like uh, world politics or um Schwarzenegger would be well up for that. You could send an email to Noam Chomsky asking what his favorite Schwarzenegger film is and then Send one to Schwarzenegger, ask him what he thought of manufacturing consent. He would love that, though. <laughs> He's probably read it. Uh, yeah, like American hegemony. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah uh, you should subscribe to his, his newsletter. Uh, and <laughs> I think I will. Yeah, <laughs> it's only once a month. Yeah. <laughs> and as Luke said, we've got podcast gold. Andrew's interest in something we're talking like about. Like and subscribe. Uh, like and subscribe, rate, rating review, and rate review. review and subscribe. Um, all right, so just before we go, one more thing I have in the notes here, because this is, is standard kind of 250 bingo stuff. The movie and Hollywood's relationship with China, which is kind of interesting, because this... Well, okay, Luke is wincing. Oh, Why yes, is Luke wincing? Taiwan. No, I, yes, I, 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 sorry. Luke, Luke, go for go. No, just very quickly, like, it's just... Um, the move, the way that the movie talks about... The, the stakes in this are very high. Yeah, because nuclear the enrichment. Enemy, the en- has nuclear enrichment but who's to say who the enemy is like oh yeah the- they, they just get very quiet when they might be talking about the enemy but the, the enemy is like the enemy is what america needs luke it's an enemy that is ahead of them in terms of fighter technology they're a rogue yeah, nation that like? yeah they're rogue na- they're like they're, basic- they're a bully china yeah or russia like they're, they're, presumably but yeah I, my had, theory no, was that, that it was aliens moment um, kind of d- d- during during the pandemic, where 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 they had like a, 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 a where they were able to launch a missile from a plane that was flying at supersonic speeds. Oh no, the 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 missile was able to launch a missile, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> the gun should carry a smaller gun. Um. I think that they should release an interquill, you know, like Jackass, where we find out, like we get a, a bit more of the detail filled in top gun maverick point five about the universe of maverick because my theory here is that maverick broke the sound barrier you know or whatever it is that he was doing with the numbers at the start of the movie i don't know a lot about planes dark star project dark star yeah and 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 went into orbit and he was infected with some sort of uh nuclear space energy which means that he doesn't age anymore but also he found his way into another world you know where aliens live, Thetans, call them what they, call them what you will, 
and and that's who the enemy is because like they're so vague about it. Well, again, well, it's like the original Top Gun, where the enemy is like America's self doubt. Like the 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 enemy in the original Top Gun is like meant to be North Korea, but they stripped out all references because they wanted to make it easier to market, and it ended up being basically like the enemy is like America's self doubt. It's like after Vietnam, it's like America might get introspective. It might start to feel guilty. It might wonder why it's not succeeding in the way that it used to, and that is the enemy. The enemy is time. The enemy is, like, doubt. The enemy is introspection. So the actual external enemy is whatever the movie needs it to be, which is, like, just a superpower that is developing nuclear weapons that has no political allies that would cause any problems for the United States just to fly in and randomly drop bombs on it to stop it from building nukes, but which also has fighter jets that are able to outgun anything the United States has to offer. Um, like, it, it's one of those things where it's like, like when you read comic books, whoever fights Superman is as strong as they need to be in the moment because the story is about how strong superman is that sort of thing it's like it, it's the enemy is just to validate the u.s sorry joe yeah sorry i think it's really funny that they keep saying that their planes are much better than ours and it's like what country is spending more on military than america it's the thesis of top gun maverick it's like man if only we spent 90 <laughs> percent of our gdp on fighter jets instead of only 89%. And I don't know who there's like, and also it's so, yeah, it's so intentionally vague, like the landscape in which yeah. the attack takes place. It could be Carlo, like it could be Belgium. It could be. I think Syria, Syria is generally like the one place that it actually could be because it can't be like Iran. It can't be North Korea. Russia and China already have nuclear weapons and like doing this would cause world war three. So like the consensus seems to be, it's probably Syria, maybe. What does the landscape in Syria look like? Well, it has a like the coast along the kind of is it the coast along either the Mediterranean or onto the Indian Ocean, wherever it is. Apparently, it has like canyons and coniferous trees and stuff like that. So it could and there's snow. So, yeah, so it can. can the, yeah, it's like what Joe was saying earlier, where they they they're not drawn on it and they just get past it as quickly as possible. Yeah, because the, even the idea of they are newly nuclear enriched and even who they are, what they're capable of, is so irrelevant to the movie. Yeah. Because the movie just gives you that briefing and it's like, the enemy has this and this is what we have to do. And yeah, all the rest of the movie follows from which that. Is, and that I've got no problem like, with it, yeah. I don't think it's a problem. No, I know. I, but yeah. I, I think it, it really is a point in the movie's favor because you have such a sense of the stakes all the way through because they are quite streamlined. Yeah. You know, like they have to do this run. They have to bomb the thing. Bombing the thing is hard. You know. I felt like it was quite tra- like it was transparently Iran, but also not Iran, and also yeah. it didn't matter. Yeah, yeah, all, all three of those things. Yeah. Uh, and like, okay, so just to bring it back to the the China thing that we mentioned there, because like you mentioned the Taiwan flag, because this is one of the interesting things about the movie is that like. This was originally announced with funding from Tencent Productions, which is a big Chinese company. They funded movies like, say, Fortnite. Well, sorry, via Fortnite. They announced it on Fortnite. It is no, they they do the vi- no, they do the video game Fortnite. Ah, Tencent. very okay. good. Okay, cool. So I thought you were being, I thought you were like referencing uh, Rise of Skywalker, where like they would announce it via Tom Cruise flying a jet in Fortnite. Um, but yeah, so apparently, like the plan was to bring this to China. They they obviously have done movies recently, like say Moonfall, for example, would be a ten cent production, um, which is also the budget that was spent on special effects in Moonfall. If you've seen Moonfall, um, yeah. I know, sorry, but basically, apparently, they pulled out. Um, and if you look at the early trailers for Maverick, um, when Tom Cruise puts on his jacket at the start of the movie, if you watch the trailer from two thousand nineteen at Comic Con. 
it has it looks it looks like Tom Cruise's jacket from the original uh, movie Top Gun, except two of the flags have changed. There is the Taiwanese flag is replaced with like a weird red blob with a blue semicircle in it, and the Japanese flag has been replaced with a white flag with a red triangle in the middle of it, uh, which is like just close enough that you won't notice it unless you freeze frame or look through it. And so there was some suggestion that like with obviously China being a huge market for American movies, they were looking to get in there and they didn't want to offend China by like recognizing Taiwan as an independent country, like say John Cena did when he announced that he was thrilled to be visiting that country to be launching uh, F9 the fast saga and then had to embark on a very humiliating series of public apologies for using the word country to describe Taiwan. But Tencent apparently dropped out. Uh, The reason they gave for dropping out is that like apparently China has been incredibly harsh on American films in recent years anyway. So it's very tough for movies, even movies that are designed for the Chinese market, movies like say Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, which was very heavily edited to appeal to Chinese values and ideals to break into the Chinese market. So Tencent pulled out and said they weren't able to do it. So you'll notice that, yeah, the movie does include the Taiwanese flag. It does include the Japanese flag and it is not funded by uh, a Chinese production company. Company, which is interesting because it feels like again like a Hollywood studio saying it it's done the math and it's figured that it doesn't need China or the concessions that it would have to make in order to get the possibility of going to China um, would not be worth making so it feels like it might be an interesting kind of turning point for a complicated relationship with with Hollywood and China uh, in in that sense and I say that though knowing that like the week after this is released uh, Jurassic World Dominion will be released and it will make all of the money in China because See, it's a gigantic monster movie sorry Luke Ch- China aren't mad about Tom Cruise though like he was the last samurai and you know, they Japan. have historical issues <laughs> with Japan and yeah but this, this is the thing is that they, they there's a lot of historical tension between them and Japan. between between oh, Tom Japan oh sorry Tom yeah Cruise. between Tom Cruise and China well no he has he has gone to China no between China and Japan <laughs> no, I just I love the idea of like the people's party uh, of China as, as Zhao Japan going like yep yeah, no uh there's been a lot of tension between himself and Tom Cruise the, the egos don't really match when they're in the room but Cruz, Cruz has done, he's done heavy publicity in China for movies like uh, Live, Die, Repeat or The Edge of Tomorrow and things like that, which is kind of interesting. Like he's gone over, he's done, he's, tried, he's sold the Mission Impossible movies really hard in China. So it does feel like it's a, it is maybe a little bit of a kind of a shifting uh, cultural or historical kind of moment, perhaps. Darren says, having absolutely no context for it. All right, anything else we want to talk about? Anything we haven't discussed with Top Gun Maverick? So Scrabble, anything in your notes that you want to talk about that we haven't discussed regarding Tom Cruise, regarding Top Gun, regarding Maverick, anything at all? Uh, no, I think I think we have, uh, from my perspective, wrung the towel dry. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, Luke, you mentioned that you possibly had some kind of hot takes or some theories that you wanted to get out there. Have we hit all of them, or are there some that you want to? Not not so much hot takes, but I I, I think that you know the action scenes in this movie are really good, as as we've said, and that's generally the audience consensus is that yeah, see the the action scenes are really great. And I think, again, you're seeing audiences realize that they like action scenes where they understand what's happening. <laughs> I, I, I think that they don't realize it until they see an example of, you know, the real deal. And I think that my theory, uh, you know, I wouldn't really call it a theory as such, but I think that there's a sort of uncanny valley where it comes to these CGI heavy uh, action scenes where it, you, you do have a breaking point when the characters are trying to do something that doesn't exist, <laughs> you know, or they're trying to do things that aren't impossible. And the big thing about Tom Cruise's 
action scenes is that they're so grounded in at least an understandable uh physicality physicality yeah like again as i say this this movie really rings two hours out of we have to get from here to here like this is what we have to do and then every time that they're training all the way they're training through it you're invested because you understand what they're doing yeah and you understand what they're failing at doing yeah and then when tom cruise shows that it's possible you're excited because you understand what he's showing that he can do and then when he does it for real because it's just that <laughs> again it, like these these moments pay off because they're not the book of blue 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 and they're not flying and they're not shooting red at each other you know it's hey, not a big beam in purple. the sky sometimes they shoot purple Luke. <laughs> in 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 professional wrestling sometimes in, on commentary like you would have people like taz or william regal they will describe why it actually hurts when you know you're pulling somebody's fingers back or something like that and audiences really buy into it because it's like i can relate to that pain <laughs> i can't relate to the pain of like over the top wrestling moves that don't happen to me but but this i understand that that hurts and when you see these guys in the plane being pushed back by the gravity yeah it it almost justifies tom cruise's maniacal <laughs> camp of, of of getting these guys into, into planes for for three months and all that it almost justifies sending him off to his corner of hollywood to do whatever he wants because i have been on roller coasters i know what it feels <laughs> like when when gravity makes me go back like that and then i can extrapolate from that that it would probably be worse if i was in a fire plane <laughs> <laughs> trying to save the world from the enemy you know it gets me invested it, uh, it makes sense all right it works all right and uh andrew anything you want to say anything we haven't discussed already about top gun maverick anything jumping out at you um oh i did enjoy that moment when they are fighting the uh, fifth generation <laughs> they fire at it <laughs> it just like flies about like a card <laughs> I'd, 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 I'd like to say as well I'd like the Lady Gaga song I think it would be remiss of us yeah. not to, not, well, the, not to the music credits on this good are old fashioned incredible. banger yeah, the music credits on They're... this are kind of astounding, astounding where it's like Harold Fultermeyer Lady Gaga and Hans Zimmer supervised by Lorne Balfe Lorne Balfe yeah. yeah quite the Venn diagram yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's again it's it's a kind of a throwback to those kind of 80s ballads without necessarily having to be a remake of one of those yeah it's, it's a, it works in, it works with the film would have been great if she was in it that would have been cool <laughs> if they were going to put um, the lady gaga i'm pulling love, for lady gaga movie star if if they were going to put the lady gaga love theme into like the middle of the movie or like the yeah, like the, they do would take my breath away in the exactly, original like, which, then they, yeah. they would probably require some more screen time <laughs> for whatever is happening, they'd need to dwell on yeah. kind of um, you know the the um, on that in order to get to the rhythm of it. Yeah, to get to the. Beat I don't. Of it. I don't. I don't think anything happens between them. I no. I think they're between friends. Maverick and Penny. Is it so you think up in Nothing. the bedroom? They yeah, they, they. You think they just they sit on bed hands. and talk? Yeah, they, they, they maybe yeah. kiss on the forehead tenderly. Exactly. No, they shake hands. I think so. Maverick takes off his shirt because it's kind of hot. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Like that—that's the reason why she didn't want to invite him in, because she she was like, he's not going to do anything. 
<laughs> so he will just be awkward. It's like a yeah. like a Ken doll. He's like a yeah, Ken doll. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like um, uh, sexually inert. So um, um, so I, I I can't do this again. <laughs> Let's not start. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. You know how we it's suddenly like suddenly that suddenly that you we you know how we always finish has a certain sinister connotation. So thank you for that, Andrew. Um, all right. Anything else we're talking about the movie? Anything we haven't discussed already? Anything jumping out? Anybody? You speak now or forever? Hold your pieces. All right. What we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners, something they're enjoying at the moment. It could be something related to the movie, something unrelated to the movie, just something that's bringing them a little bit of joy in these troubled times. So to give Scrabble and Naysayer a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask newlywed Sex Panther to go first. Um, well, obviously, my 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 new marriage is bringing me a lot of, but I can't <laughs> recommend that to anyone. Um, I... Um, uh, it, 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 you you were saying like bringing us comfort in these difficult times um i i've been kind of dwelling on the past and and reading about stalin in world war 2 and about stalingrad as well the 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 um two 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 books john kelly's um saving stalin which kind of starts out with with the molotov ribbentrop um uh pact kind of being broken and 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 it's it's a lot to do with kind of lend lease and the uh toll kind of that that uh, uh took on russia um and also um stalingrad by um anthony beaver which is which is just the the the, the story of 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 that battle um and the 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 kind of war of attrition and other than that, um, I read the, the, an, an Angela Merkel biography by, by Katie Morton, which is interesting because it's kind of hagiographical and it presents her choice to kind of uh, move away from nuclear power <laughs> um, as, as this, like, you know, courageous, rational um, decision um that i think with with, the, the, <laughs> with several with things what we've learned with, about yeah, yeah energy with, crisis with the in europe of of hindsight that 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 don't seem as kind of complementary and it's interesting how silent angela merkel has been um on that whole um uh, energy policy i guess towards kind of Nord Stream 2 and like we talk a lot about um Gerhard Schroeder rightly <laughs> But um, it's interesting that. And another thing to do with energy um, and Russia and Ukraine is uh, Chernobyl, the, the, the book by um, Serhii uh, Blocky that I, that, I, uh, that I had read recently as well, um, which is interesting because it, 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 um, there's this whole kind of eco-nationalism thing where there was a sense that um, it didn't matter to the um, uh, Soviet authorities in Moscow whether this disaster happens in in the Ukraine, so long as it doesn't kind of like reflect badly on their on their project. And um, it's uh, and the the way the way that kind of um, uh, interacts with uh, with nascent Ukrainian nationalism. So, yeah, which obviously is very, very relevant, kind of modern. Uh, 
yeah, locations. Yeah, yeah, and and the 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 way that it, it, like interestingly, even though Belarus is is more affected, um, um, that it doesn't have the same kind of um, uh, relationship level of recrimination, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, that they they, they 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 there isn't the same sort of reckoning that happens. All right. And uh, Naysayer, what are you enjoying at the moment? What would you recommend for listeners? Darren, I'm going to be very self-indulgent, if if you'll indulge me. Uh, more so than I usually am on this podcast. Yeah, because this podcast, this podcast is nothing if not indulgent. Um, uh, but, but, but what I've been really enjoying recently is uh, Pretty Deadly Films, the art book, Darren. In 2020... Uh, filmanddelman.ie, my website, we launched Pretty Deadly Films, which is a digital and print scene that celebrates the best of cinema, the blockbusters, the cult hits, the new classics. Darren has written a really great article for our John Wick it issue uh, a couple of years ago. We have, you know, really in-depth articles about movies that the writers love. We have recipes. We have word searches we have all sorts of stuff because i really like enjoy print media and the potential that it has and the potential that the freedom that uh something like a zine gives to the contributors and one thing that we've always really had since we started pretty deadly films and we're coming up on our 10th issue now is amazing artwork uh we have artwork from some of the best up-and-coming artists in ireland and what we've done in pretty deadly films the art book is put together most of the artwork from the first two years of the zine into one glossy print edition that I'm really happy with. It looks really great. It's got art from people like Jess, uh, my sister, who's been a frequent guest on this podcast, Adiel Lawal, Amy Louisa Callahan, Amy Lauren McGrath, uh, really talented up-and-coming artists in Ireland. This is 35 pages of art and movies coming together. The results are pretty deadly. And if you are a 250 listener, you can get 25% off. <laughs> I've nice. I like that you picked a good percentage. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't if offer you 250% go... off. That feels feel excessive, <laughs> but 25% feels workable. If you go to coffee.com forward slash pretty deadly films, that's ko fi.com slash pretty deadly films, all one word. You can see pretty deadly films, the art book. And if you enter the promo code 250, that's 250 at checkout you can get 25% off the Apple now. I'm a cold hard capitalist when I need to be there. I'm, I'm more, I'm more worried now about how this is going to reflect on the podcast. Like if, if none of our listeners do that, I'm now kind of worried. <laughs> listeners, <laughs> listeners don't let us down. I'll never be back again. <laughs> it, it's a, it's a grave responsibility of our listeners to, to, you know, go and... Uh, I'm glad that you brought that possibility up, Darren, because now your listeners are going to be so guilted that they'll have to do it. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we don't really ask for that much, to be fair, on the podcast. We do so ask we for people to listen to That is fair stuff. for these like, really like, any, <laughs> any, If people go to coffee.com forward slash pretty deadly films, that's ko-fi.com forward slash pretty deadly films, they'll see the full range of zines that we have available on offer. And the digital versions are pay what you want or pay what you can. You know, I, we, we, we are trying to make sure that the Pretty Deadly Film stuff is accessible. 
It's just any support that people oh. can give in order no, for us to prolong. No, that, that wasn't what I, I wasn't. That wasn't what I was suggesting at all. Sorry, that was that was. I was more joking about. No, I know, I know, I know. I, it's just uh, you know any support or any 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 anything people can do to to kind of spread the word. No, it's it's, uh, a, it's a cause very worth. I actually have mine on order. Um, so I'm waiting for it to come through. Actually. On the way. Is it on the way? On the way Fantastic. Man. It is. Fantastic. All right. So, uh, Joe, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? Sorry, Scrabble, Scrabble, Scrabble. Scrabble. I actually do love that Scrabble. I have a Scrabble mug I was drinking it out of. Is is that why you picked that as your call name? Like like Joe Griffin. Like the like when you saw yourself drinking coffee yeah. on a Griffin. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it is it pretty much is that. Yeah, the thing I'm gonna recommend, unfortunately, is not something I've worked on. Um there's a show called Hacks. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Gene Smart. It's in Ooh. second season. It's on Amazon now. Sorry, not to jump not to jump ahead exactly. of you, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, so it's all those things. Uh weirdly, it's made by HBO Max. So I thought it was gonna be on Sky Atlantic or Sky Comedy or Now TV, but it's just uh, dropped on Amazon instead. So whatever, that's okay. Um so Gene Smart plays uh comedian probably in her 60s i think she's loosely based on joan rivers and she's hugely financially successful but is in danger of losing some of her like cachet and her performance slots so her agent has a young writer who's just lost her job because she made distasteful jokes on Twitter and doubled down on them. And this young writer is sent to work with this old comedian to try and freshen up her act. And of course, they don't get along. But of course, they are more similar than they first admit to each other. And it's it's a real gem. Like the the actors are both terrific, perfectly, it's perfectly cast like soup to nuts all the way through um christopher mcdonald is in it who's always welcome the production values are gorgeous um unlike a lot of tv shows about comedians and comedy writers when you see them tell their jokes like in conversation or do their act on stage they're actually plausible as acts and they're funny so in uh and just like that the sex and city reboot there's a character in it who's a stand-up comic and her comedy is just painful and just inauthentic and then when you see it done well and it's done usually done really badly um when a a comedian it's like here's this cool comedian and they go on stage and it's like a kind of a a warped mirror image of what they think comedy used to be like whereas in this even seinfeld you know it's like the (laughs) uh, example of a comedian's property and all the stand-up is are terrible. Well, I, can't, I actually uh, quite fond of Seinfeld's shtick, his deal. Um, and, and I wish he was around to ask, what's the deal with NFTs? You know, the picture, you know, all the picture. Who's the picture? Anyway. You say um, that as if he wouldn't be shilling for them, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I mean, if Larry David... Is. Oh, that's a great one. What's the deal with NFTs? They're yeah. great value. <laughs> What is the deal? The deal is 50% off if you order now. Yeah. Um, with the two, like 250 on the URL for 25% off. Anyway, hacks is very Comedians good. and hat smoking cigars. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love Jean Smart. She's really underappreciated. Yeah. She's amazing. It, I love her. It's a great role for her. It's a real role like that she can 
swing a cat with like um so yeah it's it, the first couple of episodes are teeny tiny bit broad but the just the like the characters get to know each other as you get to know the characters there's hidden depths and stuff and and it's beautiful to look at and i love las vegas set stories it's such fun setting it's just like capitalism on steroids um so yeah hacks is really fun Right. Uh, in terms of recommendations for myself, a couple of quick ones. Uh, very quickly, a lot of great movies out in cinemas now that you should go and see absolutely and unequivocally. Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is a an episode that we are going to do at some point in the future. Uh, we may be planning to do something stupid and or ambitious around that, but you should definitely go see that before we talk about it. Uh, I also really liked Alex Garland's Men, which is in cinemas in the United States and in Ireland right now. And surprisingly enough, I like the, speaking of old properties being revived for the 21st century, I found myself surprisingly charmed by the Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers Rangers uh, reboot from the Lonely Island crowd. It's supposed to be good. Uh, yeah, John Mulaney and uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, Adam Sandberg. Adam Sandberg? No. Andy, Andy, Andy Sandberg, Sandberg, apologies. Um, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. I thought that was fantastic. I also, to prepare for this, uh, in a way that came up in absolutely no way during conversation during this, I watched rewatched all of Tony Scott's filmography from beginning to end. And I would just wholeheartedly recommend that. Uh, I had a really, really, really good time. Very few directors have had a 90s as good as Tony Scott's 90s. Um, so obviously, like, True Romance, Crimson Tide, maybe Skip the Fan, uh, Enemy of the State. Like, it's a really, really, really good lineup of really great movies that are well worth watching. And his, like, 2000 stuff is also, I think, sorely underrated. I'm a big fan of, like, the grisly, unpleasant man on fire uh i quite like the uh, the weirdness of domino uh, and i also you know kind of really love uh, deja vu and unstoppable which is one of those great like Amazing. this is a movie about like tom cruise saving movies and how great blockbuster movies are unstoppable is a movie that's like what if a blockbuster was like a runaway train but denzel washington was on it and i'm like tony scott you've done it again um dearly missed and like w w while we're on the subject of Tony Scott, like one of the things I really loved about Tony Scott as I was watching his movies is that you notice that a lot of them are passing the torch movies. They're movies about like they have older movie stars kind of handing something down to the next generation. So, for example, uh, you have Revenge is like Anthony Quinn handing the torch to to get uh, to Kevin Costner. You have like Days of Thunder is Robert Duvall and Tom Cruise, for example. You have like Crimson Tide, which is Gene Hackman uh, and Danzel Washington. And then obviously, like you have Enemy of the State, where Enemy of the State is Gene Hackman and Will Smith. Smith. You have like even the fan where that's like uh, Robert De Niro passing down to Wesley Snipes. And like you can go forward and fast forward there to like something like Spy Game where you have like Robert Redford kind of like passing the torch as the next handsome blonde white guy Hollywood lead actor to Brad Pitt. And like that's a very interesting progression, which I really loved kind of watching his movies. And like it's interesting that you have like Denzel Washington comes out both sides of that where he's like the younger part of that like two hander kind of structure when you get to uh, Crimson Tide, where Gene Hackman is the old veteran, the embodiment of old Hollywood and Denzel Washington is like new Hollywood and new America and, and then you get to something like we mentioned there uh, Unstoppable where like Denzel Washington is now the old hat and he's passing the torch to, to Chris Pine now of course as we mentioned like Chris Pine like all the other Chris's isn't really a movie star so the transition doesn't really hold but I kind of find myself wondering like what Tony Scott's version of this movie would have looked like would it have been Tom Cruise in that position handing over to Glenn Powell or handing over to Miles Teller or handing over to, to somebody else rather than kind of like yanking the torch back and going for one last joyride in an F-18. But sorry, that's that's my little ramble about like the difference between a Tony Scott version of this movie and the version that we got. I kind of like maybe watching all the Tony Scott movies beforehand was, was, was not a good idea. 
Yeah, so I, I would wholeheartedly uh, recommend all those. So those would be uh, my recommendations there. All right, so if listeners are looking for a bit more of Scrabble or Naysayer in their lives, where can they find you? So Scrabble, where are you at? Uh, I'm usually on... What's your 10-4? <laughs> um, usually on Twitter, but too much. Uh, so my handle is, or call sign, is the Joe Griffin, T-H-E, and then Joe Griffin, uh, Twitter. I feel like that that's like Bob's call sign. Your call sign should just be like the and your name. You should have that level of confidence around yeah. it. Just like, you know, <laughs> nobody using that call sign is going to be confused. Um, Naysayer, what about you? Where are you at? Where can we find you? What you up to? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Cynical. That's cynical with an I. You can be my mutual anytime. Uh, <laughs> you can also <laughs> find me on filmindublin.ie where we post reviews and news and what's on in the fair city of film uh, today we posted the five movies that you must watch for the uh, platinum jubilee weekend a, a, a list that is as sincere as it is normal uh, and and if this comes out I, during that weekend I, your content is dangerous luke your content is dangerous but damn it, I get results. I, I do like, by the way, and I hope you won't be offended, I do quite like that we're in the troll stage of film in Dublin. Um, like I did like the, the ranking. I, I I made the decision, Darren, that in order for my content to get better, it had to get demonstrably worse. Was it the ranking of Batman <laughs> actors by how they would fight seagulls? That was, that was I think, one of my favorite articles that I have Thank read you. in any medium you, you ever. Can... You can find all this and more on um, Meanwhile, we're available on Stitcher on SoundCloud, uh, on iTunes, wherever good podcasts are found. Uh, you can follow us at the 250. Uh, give us a, a like there or whatever. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe as well. But also order your Pretty Deadly Films art book as well. Uh, don't make us look bad in front of Luke. Um, so you can go there. You can order online. It's at Kofi.com. Uh, and also, we'll be back next week where the fantastic Grace Duffy and the wonderful Billie Jean Doheny will be joining us to discuss another classic classic sequel to another beloved movie that includes lots of pop songs, lots of montages, lots of musical cues, a need for a certain kind of speed. That's right, we were talking about 365 Days This Day, which is available to stream on Netflix. We'll talk about that next week. Take it easy. colon sequel. (laughs) It is. It is another colon sequel. Um, To say the least. All right. talk about the colon no, I think you talked about the colon a little bit. I think you suggested some alternate titles that you would suggest putting after a colon. Giving it a colonoscopy next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Joe. Thanks, Luke. Cheers. All right. Thank bye, guys. guys. Sorry, that one. I heard from the heaven.